What's a man of the night's watch doing in a wildling camp? I was sent to discuss terms with the king beyond the wall. You're speaking to the one true king boy. You will address him as your grace. I know he's the king. My father died for him. My name is Jon Snow, your grace. I'm Ned Stark's son. Your father was an honorable man. He was, your grace. What do you think he'd have done with him? I was this man's prisoner once. He could have tortured me, he could have killed me. But he spared my life. I think my father would have taken him prisoner. Listen to what he had to say. Very well then. Take him. Your Grace, if my father had seen the things that I've seen, He'd also tell you to burn the dead before nightfall. All of them. Seven Blessings, Big Bitches, Skeleton Assailants, and Dead Whores, and welcome to Game of Microphones. I'm Lord Sterling, Sir Duncan, the Box Slayer. And I'm Lady Rachel of House Fox, the Khaleesi of Clean Air, finally. <laughs> <laughs> and this is episode 82. On this episode of our series rewatch, we are covering Game of Thrones, season four, episode 10, The Children. Yes, the season four finale, and it yes. does not disappoint. In case you're not already aware, this series rewatch is from the perspective of someone who's current on the show. That means you've seen up through season seven. If not, don't worry, there's still time to get crossbowed in your privy by a disgruntled dwarf falsely accused of murder, but who actually did just murder his former whore lover who you'd been banging in secret, you sick bastard. So you don't have to hear these spoilers. Warning. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. All right, let's jump right into it. How about your number five, Lady Rachel? My number five, I kind of discovered a theme through this episode, and it related to the title of the episode. So my number five Ooh, all right. is labeled The Children. Nice. And it's I'm going to keep it a pretty short number five, because I know we're going to go into all of these uh, these scenes, but I realize that there are lots of child and children nuances in this episode. So we start off up at the wall, and John tells Stannis that he's Ned Stark's son. And ah, true. Stannis kind of immediately is like, oh, you know, your father was an honorable man. So um, he's revealing that he's Ned Stark's son. We see Cersei talk about her children very passionately when she's talking to Tywin about marrying Sir Loras. We see Tywin talking about his children and also discovering their dirty secret <laughs> or finally acknowledging it acknowledging it like being forced to acknowledge it yes exactly 
Then we go over across the narrow sea to a former slave missing the children that he teaches. We see right. a man who lost his child to the dragons. Oh, Heart-wrenching as always. Yeah. Oh my God. I had like tears running down my face. One of the most powerful scenes of the whole series, in my opinion. And he's like adjusting her little skull head and it, uh, I, I usually don't watch that scene, but I did it for the rewatch and I like seriously had tears running down my face. Yeah. Every time. Um, we also see Danny enslave her dragons, which we know are her, her children. children. Right. We meet, um, the actual children of the forest. Oh, right. The children. The, the actual children. Yep. And then Brienne finds one of Catelyn Stark's girls. Mm -hmm. And she was talking about her dad, too, which made, makes her like exactly. a child. Yep. So she's talking about being a daughter. And then Tywin's son, Tyrion, kills him in this episode. Those children. <laughs> Those children. So honestly, that's my number five. But I just thought like every kind of scene that we touched upon really does touch upon the notion of children. Perfect. I, I hadn't picked up on pretty much any of that. So you nailed that. <laughs> and uh, that makes sense why this episode has that title. It just fits perfectly. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've watched this series so many times, but it wasn't until this time that I kind of noted i thought i always thought it was called the children because we meet the children of the forest right. which you know we've heard about in previous episodes and you know bran finally gets to the the three-eyed raven so i always assumed that that's why it was called the children but it was when where was it oh when when Danny was putting her dragons in the catacombs, I that it all snapped together. That for it you. all like snapped together for me, and then the rest of the episode, I'm like, holy shit, there's children everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's another sad scene too, huh? Yeah, that's pretty rough. It makes um, me uh, think of like you know, one person screws up and everybody else gets punished. Like Drogon goes off and roasts one kid, and that all the other fucking dragons are getting chained up now. You remember, yeah. remember uh, season one? <laughs> Lady's a good dog. Lady didn't hurt anybody. Oh, I know. You know? <laughs> That's what I was. Rhaegal's a good dragon. <laughs> I almost stopped watching Game of Thrones after that episode. I That's turned to my husband and I was like, "Fuck this!" Yeah. I don't like. What are you making me watch? Yeah, I, when this Ned is kills her. Oh god. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not watching this anymore. And he's like. Can you please just watch the next episode? I promise you, no that's, dogs die. Yeah. Man, that's one of the roughest moments of the whole series, too. God damn. That Did you know that brutal. Sophie Turner actually owns the dog that played Lady? Ha! I did not. That's great. That's yes. cool. She connected with her so much on set that she asked if she could adopt her. Nice. And they allowed her to. That's great. I love that. Yeah, so... That was my number five. Perfect way to start our episode, summing up everything, setting the stage for everything else that's going to come. Yeah, just a good overview of what the episode is. Um, yeah, I like that a lot. Great job. Awesome. What's your number five? My number five is Stannis Ex Machina. Okay. <laughs> like uh, Deus Ex Machina from the Roman plays, meaning God from the machine when um, something bad is about to happen and then they raise somebody down from a crane to save the day out of nowhere, basically. That's that's what happened here with Stannis. Yes. 
Mance tells John that he sent all these men up on the wall and everything yeah. and that the Night's Watch is just going to be pounded into oblivion, basically. And and John is like, oh, fuck, we're screwed. And then out of nowhere, riders. <laughs> and there's that beautiful shot from above of the pincer pincer um, attack pattern with all these riders coming in from the, from the east and from the west and just thrashing through the woods. And then there's that really cool moment where they all where they connect in the middle and the riders are just like 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 going right through each other. They're like threading the needle. Yeah. And uh and I'm also kind of sick, so if my voice sounds fucked up, sorry about that. You actually <laughs> sound fine when you're talking. I know you're not feeling good though. Yesterday my voice was like super down low. I was like, <laughs> "Oh man, this is going to be a fun episode." You were Sloth Duncan? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sloth Duncan, yeah. I like that that DMV sloth in Zootopia. Is that what that is? Yeah, yes. That's the best. So That's true. That's the real sloth, the DMV people. Yes. So, um, so yeah. All of a sudden, there's riders, and Mance is like, "Are you attacking us?" And John has has a knife to his throat, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." It's like you said. Finally, he's honest with him. Tells him, "We don't have the man. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. Don't kill me. It's not necessary." And then we get a couple glimpses of the banners. And at first I was like, what the fuck? What's on those? And it, they're just flying by so fleetingly that it's hard to tell. But eventually you get you see the white flags with the red fiery hearts and the crowned stag. And I'm like, oh, shit. It's Stannis, the Manus. Yes. The Manus. And uh, he, he looks so fucking badass in that armor that he's wearing. Yes, he does. I don't know what it is about it. It's just so cool. The way, it, maybe like the way that the... Um, there's like joints in the plate mm -hmm. over where the abs are kind of like simulates abs it kind of it reminds me of the iron man suit sort of a little bit yes absolutely i fucking love that armor um and he's not wearing a lot of plate like there's plate on the chest and stuff like that a little bit on i think his, his arms uh, are free right i don't yeah think he has his legs and his arms mm -hmm. mostly leather yeah just interesting to note that it's not full plate armor um you know most of the time most of these guys are not wearing full plate armor even the the um the king's guard partial plate a lot of leather it's interesting yeah i guess it's because so, it's super heavy and it's hard to yeah. move around in which yeah, we probably. get kind of up in the up in the eerie when oh was yeah servardus servardus egan yeah yeah because he he got tired Fighting real Braun. fast and he was in full armor full plate yep yeah so pretty pretty slick um, we see Jorah wearing more plate armor too when he fights that Dothraki and he wham hits him with the Eric right across yes. the, like the side Ugh. and it just gets caught in his armor and he just slices the guy's head off. Yeah. Classic moment. So um, Mance is like everybody stand down you know my people have bled enough I, that's what I said and I meant it you know and that's when Stannis and Davos come riding up and uh St status is so fucking funny he has a heisenberg moment here um or a thug life moment at least do you know who i am man's is like never had the pleasure and then davos is fucking on point this is stannis baratheon the one true king of the seven kingdoms you know more again than he gives john yes <laughs> this is john king, the king of the north <laughs> <laughs> and uh Mance has a great retort. Well, we're not in the Seven Kingdoms, and you're not dressed for this weather. And this time watching, the, that's the first thing I noticed, that they're beyond the wall, there's snow everywhere. 
Stannis has like no fur on, nothing. Nothing. He yeah. Looks freezing. Even shooting that was probably cold. Yeah. I love when they got off the horses. They look like almost like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know? Oh, that's they so all cool. like in synchronicity, like get off their horses at the same time and walk up to Mance all all together. It was That's awesome. It was awesome. And that one guy charges up like he's gonna <laughs> hit Stannis. <laughs> and then just whack the horse comes out of nowhere. And Mance is just like Fuck. Yeah, so this is where Stannis has his badass line. This is Stannis Baratheon, one true king of the Seven Kingdoms. We're not in the Seven Kingdoms. You're not dressed with we for this weather. And Stannis just blows right past him. It is customary to kneel when surrendering to a king. And I'm like, damn, dude. Just so fucking badass. And uh, Mance, always, of course, tells him, you know, we don't fucking kneel. No matter how many thousands of your men's or of my, my men are going to be in chains by nightfall, um, you know, we don't kneel. That's just the, the way it is. And you got to give him credit for sticking to his guns, you know? Yes. Big time. So uh, Stannis is surprised to see Jon Snow. He's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Or maybe it's Davos. Why is the Night's Watch brother? Yeah, it was Davos. Um, in wildling camp. And this is when Davos actually meets Jon Snow, you know, yeah. which I thought is kind of cool because they're still together in season seven and will be in mm -hmm. season eight. Yeah, totally. And uh, so he's like, uh, I was sent to discuss terms with the king beyond the wall. And Davos again on point. You're speaking to a king, bitch. You'll dress him as your grace. I know he's the king. My father died for him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> Another powerful line. Yeah. Tells him he's Jon Snow, Ned Stark's son. And Stannis, man, he gives him respect just for that connection. He's like, you know, he's like, your father was an honorable, honorable man. He was your grace. What do you think he'd have done with him? Yeah, because Ned Stark is the one that told Stannis right, that the he's the, the rightful king. He's the one that sent that raven. Yeah, and he died trying to uh, preserve the throne for Stannis. Yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So he almost has kind of a little bit of a debt to pay to Jon, you know? Sure. And uh, so he... It says a lot about Stannis that he, he even asks John, what do you think your father would have done with Mance? Because it's it's both respecting John because of his father and, you know, knowing that Ned was honorable and assuming that some of that those traits were probably, you know, bred into John or taught to John. Sure. But simultaneously he's testing him. Mm -hmm. You know, and wants to see if that's the case by what John's answer is. And I love John's response. I was this man's prisoner once. He could have tortured me. He could have killed me, but he spared my life. You know? And uh, I think, I think my father would have taken him prisoner, listened to what he had to say. And Stannis must've been satisfied with this because <laughs> he's just like, very well then take him. And uh, Mance is taken up and brought off. And uh, John steps up, a little bit more you know a little bit more comfortable with the situation now he kind of goes out on a limb and kind of gives stannis some instructions here you know yeah if my father had seen the things that i've seen he'd also tell you to burn the dead before nightfall you know all of them and i'm like fuck i like that he talks about like if my father had seen it's not like i've seen crazy things north of the wall you need to burn the dead he right, was kind right, of right. playing Stannis's game, you know, okay, well, you, you know, you don't know me from Adam, but you know my father and think he's an honorable man. So I'm going to talk yep. as if 
this is what he would have done so it gets through to stannis it's true too yeah Ned totally would have done that you know so he's he's playing the game but he's also being truthful he's just like you can already tell he's uh he's got some good like diplomatic skills yes to some degree you know so good negotiating very slick way of handling that and uh just super ominous you know burn all the dead before nightfall fucking ominous and stannis has got to be like um okay why you know <laughs> right Definitely. so that pretty much uh wraps up my number five stannis x machina out of nowhere crushing those what those wildling bastards awesome great scene oh yeah how about your number four my number four is brianne and aria nice and i love the start of this aria is doing her kind of water dancing practice and <laughs> brianne you know well first pod forgot to hobble the horses so she's pissed <laughs> at pod you know it's at least 30 miles to the bloody gate you're carrying the saddlebags you you know lost the horses essentially he's like maybe it was thieves but obviously there's nobody around <laughs> there's nobody there's not a soul and brianne comes up to Arya and Arya turns around and she's like has needle pointed at her and she goes people coming right 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 and she's like standing there in a battle stance basically yeah, she's which like, is really you can cool shit later there's people coming and I love yeah. that line and mm -hmm. um you know Brienne starts talking to her and Arya is really curious you can just tell she's this is a woman in full armor with a big giant sword and Arya's like, are you a knight? And Brienne's like, no, I'm, I'm not a knight. And, you know, she says, you know, you know how to fight. And I love their just story back and forth about, you know, well, Brienne talking about, you know, but I, my father didn't want me to, but I fought them anyways. And he finally gave in basically. And yeah, said, Arya's new idol, basically. Yeah. And said, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to do it, you might as well do it right. And this makes Arya very curious and I think a little open to Brienne because she realizes that they're very similar. Right. Then, Even Brienne is like smiling like she sees a reflection of herself yeah. except just tiny and little. They definitely have an instant connection. And we see this again at Winterfell when they have that amazing fight scene yep. when they right Both when smiling and yeah they smile at each other at the end and you know brand brand's like damn this girl's fucking awesome with <laughs> you know a sword and a dagger yeah um so and then the hound comes around the corner and brianne goes you know seven blessings and <laughs> the hound in typical hound fashion you want something <laughs> <laughs> straight to the point and podrick podrick's face he's like oh my god that's the hound yeah, and Brienne's smile slowly fades. Yeah, and then she looks down at Arya as Arya's kind of moving behind the hound, and she's kind of putting it together, and she's like, you know, you're Arya Stark, and Arya goes, you're not a northerner. And how would, uh, how would she know that this is Arya? Um, I feel like... The hound has been gone since after the Battle of Blackwater Bay. Um, Arya has been gone since the execution of Ned yeah, Stark. Yeah, that's a good question. They, they didn't leave King's Landing together. No, they didn't. And I'm trying to think. I feel like 
Oh no, maybe that was they were talking about Sansa at the inn with hot pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's actually a really she, good. She, whatever it was, it was a stroke of brilliance. Yeah, maybe because Brienne had asked where the bloody gate was, and Arya said it's ten more miles. So maybe she put it together that maybe they were going to the Eyrie or coming from the Eyrie. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah. But either way, I mean, Brienne had the great idea that maybe that's where Arya was too. Oh, right, because uh, when they were by the horse and Podrick was like, she's probably at the Vale. Her, you know, her mom's dead, her dad's dead, her brother's dead, her aunt yeah, is still alive, okay. and that's where they'd be heading. And that's when Brienne was like, maybe that's where Arya is too. Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. But that's still quite a stroke of brilliance to figure that out. Yeah, that this random girl 10 miles away is her. Yeah. Maybe she could just tell by, like, her confidence and her, like, style, and maybe she had heard bits and pieces about her before or something, yeah. that she was, like, a tomboy and could be. everything like that. Yeah, so, um, you know, Brienne goes into, I swore a sacred vow to your mother, and, you know, my mother's dead. And Yeah, bas you know, Arya basically admits her identity there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well... Brienne figured it out for sure, you know, and right. she does have the hound to protect her. And, you know, she, Brienne goes, I wish I could have been there to protect your, you know, your mom. Right. And she says she had sworn to protect her, like her mom as well, you know? Yeah. I swore to your mother I'd bring you home to her. And then she also says, I swore a sacred vow to protect her. So Arya's like, why didn't you? Exactly. And she commanded me to bring Jamie Lannister back to King's Landing. You're paid by the Lannisters. Yeah, and so the hound gets really defensive here. Yeah, you're here for the bounty on me. <laughs> yep. And, you know, she's Paramount. like, I'm not paid by the Lannisters. And he's like, oh, really? Like, check out your sword. I've been looking at Lannister gold my entire life. Yeah. You know, tell and me that's not Lannister gold. <laughs> she could have done a little bit of, of a better job of explaining uh, the situation here. You know what I mean? Yeah. She's like, Jamie, gave, Jamie Lannister gave me the sword. But she could have said, like... It was forged Jamie, from ice. Yeah, and it was given to me to protect Arya using her father's sword. You know, or she could have said, like, it was a gift from Jamie as a thank you for saving his life. You know? Um, yeah, she left it very vague. Right, when the Hound points out that it's Valyrian steel, she could have been like, yeah, like, it's not a normal, like, payment. Obviously, the Lannisters aren't going to pay somebody in Valyrian steel. They didn't even have any for themselves. You know, there's something like some special significance to this sword. Yeah, absolutely. I always wanted some Valyrian steel. Yeah. He thinks he's going to take it. No contest. It's hilarious. You know, and she's not coming with you. And Brian's like, she is. <laughs> she's coming with me. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she goes, I can keep you safe. And I love the hound sentiment here. He goes, safety. Right. Where the fuck's that? Her aunt yeah. is dead, her father's dead, her mother's dead. Winterfell is a pile of rubble. There's no safety, you dumb bitch. Nah. If you don't know that by now, you're the wrong one to watch over her. And that's what you're doing, watching over her. I. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Epic. Um, so it's really unfortunate because these four would have made an awesome team. Oh my God, yes, talk about a death squad yep but i guess instead we get a really epic fight you give some you take some you know yeah so 
I like that they're both really skilled fighters, but aren't knights. Right. They, yeah, they that's another great parallel. Play a little dirty here, and like mm-hmm. Brienne bites his ear, I think, and spits it out. Yeah, Mike then, Tyson style. Yeah, I mean, she's just wailing on him. I love her screaming in yeah, this episode. <laughs> yeah, her combat uh, vocalizations are great. Yeah, like, voice cracking and just wailing. And I mean, and the Hound just beats the shit out of her, and she's beating oh, yeah. the shit out of the Hound. I mean, talk about just. I mean fortitude to go through that fight like my son like headbutts me in the face and i'm down for the count for like 10 minutes just accidentally does it too yeah well sometimes on purpose because he's two but oh right right (laughs) you know (laughs) i noticed some cool parallels here with the uh the mountain and the viper fight oh really yeah so obviously sandor and gregor are both brothers okay gregor the mountain is is you know at the tip of a spear down dead and ends up reversing it on the mountain or on the, on the viper as we know here sandor is facing death mirroring gregor as brienne has the sword to his throat he ends up reversing it on her and gets up on top of brienne just like gregor got on up on top of oberon so oh, we yeah. think yeah just like so as viewers we're thinking oh god the same thing's gonna happen he's gonna kill brienne but then they flip it on us again, <laughs> and it's uh, it's Brienne that ends up taking the the victory here. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great correlation. Absolutely, I did not even pick up on that. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. I liked how he grabbed the sword too. She's like, "I have no you know no wish to kill you, sir." And he's like, "I'm not a knight." And he's like, squeezes the Valyrian steel with his hands. Oh man, that's messed up. You can even see if you're watching. He stands up as he's holding the sword with both hands, and the sword, the blade of the sword is, like, bending. He's oh, really yeah. gripping it. Yeah. You can see it. It's cool. Yeah. So, I, I like that they just both kind of fight dirty and, Rocks. you know, just, um, he gets knocked off the cliff, and you can tell that it's he's, <laughs> he's not going to really get up from that. That was quite a fall. And I found it really funny. Because Pod loses both the horses and Arya in this scene. <laughs> like, right, that's that's great. Yeah, um, and so they're they're screaming, looking for Arya, and just like she's stealth mode. Yeah, like quiet as a cat. She, mm-hmm. you know, stealths down to the Hound, and she's very very quiet here. And I know that we've talked about that the Hound is off her list, but I was kind of remembering this and you would think that if she was if he was off her list that she would maybe try to help him right but instead she just leaves him for dead or maybe just on principle she doesn't want to kill anybody that's not on her list yeah i that you know there's like a couple different ways you could look at it yeah there were a few different ways um i I thought maybe, you know, he's off her list and that's why she doesn't kill him. But I also thought maybe she assumes that he's going to die. So she just, you know, wants it to last longer because he is on her list. Um, Sort of mirroring um, a scene from The Walking Dead a couple weeks ago where Negan is trying to get 
Maggie to kill him. And he's like, kill me, kill me. And Maggie's like, oh, since you want me to kill you, I'm going to let you suffer. Let you suffer. Yeah. So I thought it could go either way because she also doesn't say anything to him. Right. And then she also steals his silver like dead men don't need silver. Mm hmm. Dead so, mice don't squeak. Yep. Um, I love this hound here. He kind of laughs, you know, I'm killed by a woman. Um, he's, yeah. he's trying to egg Arya on to, you know, finish the job. He tells Arya all the reasons why um, he was originally on her list. You know, I killed that butcher's boy, that ginger, blood all over my horse. My saddle smelled like <laughs> butcher's boy butcher's for boy. weeks. Um, you know, I should have fucked your sister bloody right um, at least i'd have one happy memory yeah i thought that was kind of a <laughs> funny line you know because i'm sure the hounds like had sex before which is maybe a little bit telling about his feelings for sansa maybe he has maybe he hasn't maybe he hasn't we never really see him do that have we yeah, he doesn't seem like a raper to me no but i would think you know what about like whoring they won't even look at him you know yeah that's maybe he's like ashamed and is sort of introverted because of it maybe he's a virgin yeah well i would think you know he he could pay whores <laughs> that's true <laughs> yes but it was just kind of funny and then i just love that look she gives him as she steals his silver and just walks off yeah, so brutal yeah and rory mccann's performance here is just amazing man. kill me <laughs> yeah do i have to beg you to do it do it yeah do it you know yeah and they made his teeth look so gross it's awesome i know they almost look like dentures yeah there's a kind of a funny south park parallel here um just in bits and pieces and not too like on the nose so you know how you know they say when you die you shit your pants <laughs> when when uh when chef dies on south park he like falls off this cliff and like hits every fucking rock on the way down and oh kind of like the way that the, the hound falls down the cliff here yeah and uh he's lying there and uh, i think like a lion comes up and like rips his face off or something and then he's he's still lying there and cartman's like maybe he's still alive you guys they say right before you die you shit and all of a sudden you know chef just shits everywhere and you know he's dead um so the hound may have spared himself the indignity of shitting his pants when he died here by taking a shit at the beginning of the scene oh my God. You know? that's funny uh i thought that was pretty funny yeah so that wraps up my number four what is your number four nice nice my number four was sandor begging for death oh okay he has a couple funny lines like when she walks up to him you still here big bitch saved you <laughs> which is why I, which is why i said big bitches big at the bitches. beginning of the episode yeah she's like i don't need saving he's like no not you you're a real killer with your water dancing and your needle <laughs> and his his leg is just like compound fractured hardcore yeah it was bad yeah he's like i'm definitely gonna die unless there's a maester hiding around that rock <laughs> yeah. for all we know he he did die you know maybe the lord of light brought him back or something yeah um and my heart bleeds for sandor every time i see the scene yeah it's a sad he, one he gets to um bring back one of his favorite <laughs> sayings i'd skin you alive for wine fuck water 
Fuck water. Yes. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, and like you said, killed by a woman. I bet you like that. <laughs> and she like rubs it in. He's like, you're going it alone. You won't last a day out there. I'll last longer than you, she says. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, too soon. And then it, he harkens back to a couple episodes ago. You remember where the heart is? When he showed her yep. how to kill a man properly and then she used it to kill Rorge. Yep. Fuck it. I'm ready. And I'm like, oh my God. I really I think this is like a brilliant performance by Rory oh, McCann Oh, for here. sure. It's an awesome. Just when a, he says, fuck it, I'm ready. He, yeah. It's so believable. Like he's surrendering. He's like ready to go. Yep. And then it, he starts off like just surrendering and then he has to try to manipulate her, like you said. And then he just is begging and it's begging. like all these different stages of trying to die and different tactics to make it happen. And it's just like, oh, seeing somebody so big and powerful and strong, just reduced to something so weak and, and like sad and pathetic. It's really hard to watch. It is hard to watch for sure. Definitely. And then as she, uh, as she's walking off, kill me, kill me. You know, it's like, oh my God. Uh. So brutal. I'm glad we get to see him again because it would have sucked if this was the end of the hound. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was for sure when I first watched it. I was like, he's done. Yeah, like how could he survive that? Yeah. And he just has a little limp when we first see him. Yeah, again. not bad. <laughs> yeah, so that's my number four. How about your uh, numero tres? My numero tres is Tywin's dominance before his demise. Nice. So... We get Tywin and Cersei together, and he is basically laying down the law and telling his daughter, you are marrying Loras Tyrell, whether right. you like it or not. And Cersei is stubborn as fuck, and she's like, I will not. Yeah. So Tywin goes, Jamie cannot marry or inherit lands. Tyrion's sentence will be carried out tomorrow. You have on several occasions made great claims about your commitment to this family's future. Your role in this future or your role in that future is more vital now than it ever was. And I love that he kind of throws that back in her face because she's always talking about how she's the only one listening to his stories. Right, right, right. His yeah. legacies, his legacy stories. And that's when she goes, I'm not interested in another one of your smug stories about the time you won. This isn't going to be one of those times. Beautiful line. It is. And then it's even better. As much better. as you hate Cersei, you got to like that. Yeah. yeah. And I love Tywin's response. Do you think you'll be the first person dragged into the set to be married against her will? <laughs> and I just got this like image of them dragging her up to the altar. <laughs> right. And I mean, they already did it once because she like, you know, I guess she was kind of excited to marry Robert when she the first day. So yeah. Never mind. She she willingly went into the sept that time. Yeah. So um, then she goes into and this kind of wraps ties back into my number five, um, because this we, we've talked about this multiple times on the podcast of Cersei's really kind of only re, uh, you know, redeemable trait is the, her, the love and passion for her children. And 
she goes, do you remember the Battle of the Blackwater? She basically tells Tywin that she was going to kill Tommen and herself. She had the essence of Nightshade. Um, and she goes... That's how far I was willing to go yeah. when I thought someone awful had come to take my son away. Yes. Now someone awful is coming to take him away. You, Dad! Yeah, and she's like, Joffrey's dead, Marcella has been sold like livestock, and now you want to ship me off to Highgarden to, and steal my boy, my last boy. And... She continues, Marjorie will dig her claws in. You'll dig your claws in and you'll fight over him like beasts until you rip him apart. And the way she says rip him apart, it's really heartbreaking because she's mm -hmm. like, and then, and then wonderful the acting. Line. Oh my God. I will burn um, our house to the ground before I let that happen. And epic. The, the word delivery on that line, so intense. Marjorie will dig her claws in, you will dig your claws in, and you'll fight over him like beasts until you rip him apart. I will burn our house to the ground before I let that happen. And how will you do uh, that? Like her voice kind of cracks and she's so intense. And he's just like, how, oh yeah, how are you going to do that? How are you going to burn our house to the ground? Yeah. And she's like, I'll tell everyone the truth. What truth would that be? You don't know, do you? Well, what am I talking about? You know. Yeah, you never believed it. Yeah. How is that possible? How can someone so consumed by the idea of his family have any conception of what his actual family was doing? I loved that sentiment to Tywin because that's truly yeah. what is going on. Mm -hmm. He's so wrapped up in the idea of family and legacy, but he pays no attention to his children. His actual family. And so we know that Tywin is aware of the rumors. And to some extent, I think Tywin knows they're true deep inside, but he, he refuses to believe it. You know what I mean? Like he knows it's true, but in his mind, he's like, it's not true. He's built a wall in his, in his mind where he just can't go there. Yeah, because he's not that stupid, you know, because she's like, I will tell, you know, everything they say about Jamie and me is true. Um, your legacy is a lie. We were right there in front of you and you didn't see us. Yeah, if you would have just paid attention to your kids, you would have seen it the whole time. And Tywin's like, no, no, that's not true. Yeah, everything they say is true about Jamie and me. No, he, your legacy is a lie. And he kind of like freaks out and turns away. And he's like, no. No, 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 no. And he's like, I don't believe you. And then he turns back and he sort of smiles like, like a rebound of confidence in his belief. And she's just like, yes, you do. You believe me. You yeah. Know? And, and it's the reins like, of Castamere oh, are playing God. in the background. Yeah. And this is when I realized that Tywin's whole world comes down in just one episode. Completely. Before this episode, he was on top of the world. You know, and then he f learns the truth about Jamie and Cersei. He gets fucking killed yeah. all within one episode, man. He had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So Reigns of Castamere is playing and then it switches over to Cersei going to see Jamie. Yep. And, you know, they have their little conversation and. You know, Jamie's like, you won. Great job. You're one brother less. Like, how do you feel? And he goes in and he's like, 
Tyrion is your family too, because they're talking about the legacy and the family, and right. he is not. You don't get to choose. Yeah. I do, she says. So do you. And then later in this episode, he 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 makes a choice. He chooses family, and he frees his brother. Yes, absolutely. That's such a great tie-in here. Um, you know, she blames Tyrion for killing their mother. And this goes to show, like, how deep her hatred is that she has to, in her mind... I mean, he's a baby. <laughs> he didn't, yeah. like purposely kill her and jamie kind of makes that point are you really mad enough to blame him for that seriously like that's kind of ludicrous truly right. and some people uh you know speculate that jamie and cersei may be bastard children of the mad king so the use of the word mad here is just kind of interesting oh really oh interesting that brings kind of a whole new dynamic to the scene for sure well think about the dynamics it brings to the rest of cersei's arc with the wildfire and, yeah yeah you know, her obsession with fire and killing doesn't like blowing up a shit ton of innocent people in the paranoia sept. about her enemies yeah yeah the, yeah blowing up the yeah the sept the great point exactly wow interesting um yeah and i love her line a disease doesn't decide to kill you all the same you cut it out before it does yeah and I just thought that that was really a harsh thought because, I mean, I'm sure in this world, they <laughs> they don't have ultrasound equipment. <laughs> so right. they would never have known that Tyrion was a, a dwarf or that he would, you know, be in some type of position to harm joanna lannister during birth and delivery enough to right. kill her Mo most of the time it you know breached babies or babies that you know cause hemorrhaging or whatever you can kind of have a idea of that with modern technology <laughs> right see it coming literally yeah like you can avoid it with a c-section too so i thought mm -hmm. um that was a really interesting an interesting line and then she reveals to jamie i i told him i told him about us i love my brother i love my lover i don't want to talk about tywin lannister i don't choose tywin lannister jamie is shocked yeah and, he's and like, she's manipulating hard too yeah yeah and she's like getting down to suck his dick <laughs> yeah kissing his hand uh, yeah and then i just wrote hand. in my note incest <laughs> <laughs> so um very powerful a, a powerful scene for cersei really and also tywin i mean this was kind of his last his last try of getting cersei to do what he wanted and he really kind of lost that battle too oh yeah so yeah that was my number three nice uh let's see a couple more things about that scene um i was glad that jamie defended Tyrion. you know he didn't decide to kill her he was an infant yeah you know etc and then there was controversy among hardcore book reader fans um when she's like let's fuck right here right now you know, someone could see i don't care you know he knocks the white book off the table oh and uh 
that was like people thought that that was like crazy because he sort of has reverence for the white book yeah uh, etc and it's like you know one of a kind history of the king's guard type thing so he just kind of throws it right off the table and people thought that that was like maybe inauthentic or like disrespectful for jamie to do but at the same time he's he has like two lines in the white book maybe it's like it's been stewing and maybe he's just really mad at the white book and that's one of his failures but he's succeeding with his sister you know yeah. at this point so <laughs> in a symbolic choice he like throws the white book aside yeah interesting yeah so yeah that was a crazy scene for sure awesome. my number three is Varys's sacrifice Okay. And, nice. Um, Varys opens the door for Tyrion, and too much time has passed, so he knows that something has happened. He's like, what have you done? Quickly, trust me, my friend. You know, quickly. And so they hurry off, and he has, like, this fetish with putting people in boxes. because yeah, <laughs> he put the sorcerer the in the box. That's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> so then he's going to put Tyrion in the box. Uh... <laughs> Dick in a box, and uh, <laughs> I was just gonna and, say that. <laughs> <laughs> and so Tyrion's like, "What the fuck?" He's like, "Trust me, my friend. I've brought you this far." You know, it's like, "Yeah, it's true. You got help me get out." So I don't think you're gonna like kill me at this point because I was gonna die anyway. It would be kind of counterproductive. You could have just done nothing, and it would have had the same result. So he got, hops in the box, and I thought there was a really cool shot as he settles in the into the box. The camera is looking through one of the air holes cut inside of the box and and it's zooming and the hole is getting bigger and you can see Tyrion's face through the hole and then it all fades to black as the the top slides under the under the box and it closes and Tyrion is shrouded in darkness. I just thought it was a really beautifully rendered shot. Um sure. whoever directed the scene, really good eye for cinematography. Um really well done. So various um ever faithful <laughs> he stays to make sure that Tyrion is loaded properly onto the ship and like the crane is lifting up Tyrion and putting the box down and once he's safely on board Varys is like cool mission accomplished you know and he turns and starts to walk back towards King's Landing to go back to the Red Keep um you know I'm assuming and that's when dong dong the bells ring and we know what Varys thinks about bells it's always there's always something bad, you know, whether yeah. it's a wedding or a dead king or whatever. So he knows that Tyrion must have killed Tywin or something like that. Somebody. And he realizes, yeah, he realizes that it's too dangerous for him to go back. They would know that he's gone. If this has been discovered already and nobody can find him, it will be suspicious. So he makes it would be too dangerous for him to return. So he makes the decision to leave King's Landing. And I'm just thinking, wow, like he worked his way up from the gutter of of some shithole in Essos, you know, and fought and sold his, you know, all of his parts of his body that he needed to and stole and acquired skills and built this network of spies and did all this work to to put himself in this position of power in King's Landing. And he just sacrificed all of it to save uh, the, the imp. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he gave up everything that he worked his whole life to accomplish. He must see great value in Tyrion. He must. Yeah, he and must I think see... it echoes back to the trial too, when 
you know, Tyrion goes, have you forgotten? And he goes, sadly, my lord, I never forget anything or something like that. Right. And this is very true here. He didn't forget. Yeah, we had been speculating about what Varys' motivation was for, like, bringing up stuff he didn't need to at the at the trial, like that Tyrion may have been converted into a northern loyalist by his marriage to Sansa Stark and everything, like adding details that he didn't need to add, you know? Yeah. One of our listeners brought up the excellent point. Um, I I'm, I'm apologize to you that I can't remember who it was at this moment, but they mentioned that it makes perfect sense with Varys' plan that he wants Tyrion to be convicted and he wants him to be removed from the scene at King's Landing because the last thing that he wants is a competent leader and strategist to be around when the team that he backs, Team Targaryen, shows up at King's Landing. Having Tyrion there would be too much of a threat to yeah. um, the success of Daenerys. Good point. Absolutely. So it makes perfect sense. He wants to put the nail in his coffin, so to speak, and then whisk him away and save him just to get him out of there and add him to Team uh, Team team danny you know yeah um, but also like it seems here that that um Tyrion or that varies doesn't have anything to do with Tyrion's execution of tywin right he seems surprised by it not quite the same in the books varies is leading Tyrion through the tunnels to escape and there he's kind of like pointing things out as they're walking along you know Oh, this passage leads to here. This passage leads to here. Oh, and that tower, that that's uh, that ladder over there, that leads up to the hand of the king's chamber. But don't worry about that, Tyrion. You know, and Tyrion's like, wait a second, you know, <laughs> type thing. Yeah, so absolutely. In one stroke, he removes Tyrion from King's Landing, brings him over to where he needs to be put on Team Danny, and simultaneously manipulates Tyrion into removing Tywin from the equation. That's that's awesome. Which is fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, he we realize really just how smart he is. Yeah, and so I think remember how uh, Jamie is so pissed off at Tyrion uh, when he's on the boat to Dorne with Bronn. He's like, if I you know, next time I see Tyrion, I'll cut him in two, basically. Yeah. So he he's all pissed at Tyrion because why is it because Tyrion killed tywin that's what he's all mad about i think so right in the books a little different you guys are gonna want to read the books to get the backstory of to get more information about what happens and the conversation in between jamie and Tyrion as jamie frees Tyrion from the cell so read the books to find out what okay. happens there i haven't gotten to that yet in the books cool yeah i won't spoil it for you Spoiler um, alert. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, just basically, I was just amazed that Varys put everything that he's built on the line here and gave it all up for Tyrion. And then uh, he hops on the boat and like a faithful servant, you know, that he always says, I serve the realm, I serve the realm. Like a faithful servant, he sits there right by Tyrion's box, <laughs> dutifully, protectively, as the boat sails off. Yeah, I love that great. with the bells kind of ringing in the background and he's just kind of sitting there and just gently puts his hand on the box like I'm protecting this, you yep. know. And man, what a pivotal episode for so many characters in this in this series. For sure. Oh my the, goodness. The trajectory changes in so many like are so drastic in yeah, so many cases. Absolutely. It's wild. Yeah, so that's the end of my number 3. How about your number 2? My number 2 
is winter is coming. And this nice. is when John and Mance have their conversation. All right. So we this is actually the start of the episode. Yeah. And we we start off at the wall. The gate has been lifted. John is walking out and bodies everywhere. Oh my littered across. And I love that aerial shot of um like from the top of the wall facing down to John as he's walking yeah. through the snow and you just see all those bodies. And John passes the giant and mm -hmm. the crows are eating the giant. And I thought that was interesting symbolism Metaphor. there. Yeah, absolutely. You feed life those crows for a lifetime too. For sure. <laughs> That's a lot of food. And so John gets into the woods and we I love I love the cinematography. We can hear him kind of breathing hard and you know he's clearly cold he looks very pained i mean he's basically thinking like i'm gonna be walking to my death here yeah um a very brutal death as we've come to find out and he's brooding as always yes and we see kind of shadows in the forest moving around and then we see people and you know as he's walking into the camp he like slowly raises his hands up mm -hmm. and he gets in front of Mance and he goes, I've been sent to negotiate with you. And Mance is like, you know, you're all in black. Yeah. Basically, it like, I'm kind of disappointed so. in you. Right. Basically, I was hoping your loyalty was real when you pledged yourself to us, Jon Snow. And truly and, I was. Yeah. And John kind of reveals to Mance here that he his loyalty was always to the night's watch he reveals that corin halfhand man made me kill him so that you would trust me so i could basically infiltrate your camp talk about a sacrifice there's another big one right and they kind of start talking about the battle and you know mance brings up egret and john you could goes, tell he had a healthy respect for grit too he's sure. deeply saddened by he grimaces uh when he learns of her death yeah yeah she's definitely a loved character and you know she goes he goes she's dead you're doing john goes no you know not my doing and, and i have to say in the books john may have hesitated slightly before answering this question oh really yeah, there may be a hesitation, and you'll have to read the books to find out why. Oh, okay. So he goes, we'll drink to her. And they're tormenting what looks to me like fermented milk. I think that's what they're drinking. Um, and John Something get, like that. Well, gets white. Yeah, that's so gross. <laughs> um, and John is really apprehensive to take a drink and i love mance because of all the ways i'd kill you poison would be the last right he's fucking mance raider you know? yeah he's gonna fucking torture he's you not for the days. queen of thorns yeah <laughs> yeah it's and we've come to know that poison is a woman's weapon <laughs> except for oberon except for oberon and but then again he's got elements of you know like he's he's a very rounded human embracing yes. the sun and the moon and uh you know what I mean? Yeah. Elements embracing all like the elements of 
of um, you know both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, so <laughs> I love when John takes a drink and he's like, <coughs> "That's not wine." <laughs> uh, no, it's a proper northern drink, John Snow. Yeah, you did well. Fought hard, killed some of our strongest men. One of our giants went into your tunnel and never came out again. Mag the mighty. mighty. He's, He's dead. dead. <laughs> he killed my friend Gren. <laughs> he was their king. The last of a bloodline that stretches back before the first men. Yeah, well, Gren came from a farm. <laughs> <laughs> Mag and Gren. Gren and Mag. Yeah, beautiful juxtaposition, juxtaposition of just like this monstrous king of the giants being brought down by a farm boy, you know, and oh, uh, like just and this, I like this, how they put their people first. So Mance says Mag and Gren, yeah, and then John says Gren and Mag, you know, and it's, like yeah, oh, it's just so poetic, like these two completely different types of souls clashing in this one instance in history and just like going down in history together it's like oh just so weird and epic yeah and you also have you know the king beyond the wall and the future lord commander sitting toasting their fallen friends together which is yep you know you can just tell the amount of respect that they both have for each other yes john kind of betrayed mance Yes, he's a crow. Yes, he's the king behind, beyond the wall. But when it comes down to it, I think they're both really kind of noble people and honorable. Right. And They're both honorable, for sure, in their own ways. And they both recognize it. I agree. Yeah. And so I, I found it interesting in this scene that Mance essentially offers John guest right here because he offers to feed him. Right, and true. it pans to John's face, and John kind of closes his eyes and is like, "Oh, <laughs> I'm doomed." <laughs> and <laughs> you know, so Mance starts going in that um, you know we threw the whole army at you, a hundred thousand strongs, and you fired on us with everything you had. And when I saw this, I sent four hundred men five miles north of here to go over the wall. Um, I expect half of them are going to make it over by the end of the day. And, you know, John's, I'm being honest with you, Jon Snow, yeah. which is more than you've ever done for me. Which is true. <laughs> yeah, and this is the part where he starts um, appealing to John's developing sense of philosophy. You know, my people have bled enough. We're not here to conquer. We're, we're here to hide behind your wall. Just like you. We need your tunnel. Winter is coming. And I love that. That's why I titled it for my number two. Because he's saying the stark words to John. Yeah. yeah, to the stark words. If there's anything that he can say that's going to strike a chord with John, it's connecting about this. Yeah. And so he basically also threatens him to let us through or we'll kill every last man at Castle Black. Right. I mean, it's not just that, though. He says, like, here's the bargain. You go back, you open the gates to us, and I swear to you, no one else will die. Like, that's it. We won't kill anybody. All we want to do is hide behind the wall. Refuse, and we'll kill every fucking last one of you. Yeah. 
which they can easily do. Yeah. And John kind of lunges for the uh, the knife, and he goes, it, killing so a man funny. in his own tent after he just offered you peace. Is that what the Night's Watch has become? Yeah, he's like, John is like, his eyes keep flicking over to the blade in the, in the stump, and his hand, which is starting at his knee, his right hand is like, Twitching. slowly moving backwards <laughs> along his thigh and like preparing to just reach over and grab it so funny yeah and then you know then we cue the horns and stannis which we already kind of talked about right but yeah like again like you were saying are, are you capable of that john snow killing a man in his own tent when he's just offered you peace is that what the night's watches is? is that what you are john snow you know and yeah Right after he said the Stark words. Right. Yeah, it's a really important introspective moment for John. He's got to be feeling sympathy for Mance's plight and the, the wildlings who he's he's developed a bond with. Sure. An intimate bond, you know? And uh, To say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a double entendre there. And uh, he, you know, they're, they're, they both know winter's coming. And John doesn't he he's all about being honorable you know like he's never like going back to sandor potentially being a virgin john was a virgin before egret because he didn't want to dishonor he didn't want his, to make another his bastard. offspring and create a bastard right yeah. yeah exactly so um it's just he's appealing to john in all the right ways you know winter is coming you're a man of honor are you really going to do this you know type thing and then, bam, surprise, Stannis ex machina. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah, just Incoming. a really powerful scene, though, you know? Very powerful. I really enjoy that scene every time I watch it. Yeah. Uh, any, anything else you want to add? No, that pretty much wraps up my number two. What is your number two? Okay, we've had Shay the funny whore. We've had Shay the annoying whore. And now my number two is Shay the Dead Whore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, we see a, lo a lion wrought in iron as Tyrion enters the chambers of the Hand. And he pauses slightly, surprised to see the outline of a woman in his father's bed. A woman? When was the last time his father has ever been with a woman? You know? Right. Joanna Lannister? He's never in his entire life seen his father with a woman. So he's shocked just that there's a woman in his bed at all. And then shock turns to horror. confusion and horror, <laughs> yes, when she starts to roll over Tywin, my lion. You and know. she looks very comfortable. And this goes back to what I was talking about. I think she's been kept there, and I think he's yeah. been doing her Stopping for her. a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, ever since she got... You know, she got quote on that boat. Yes, yeah. I think she's, she's been there been the whole the time. Yep. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And um, this is interesting because we have two scorned lovers facing off, mirroring John and Igrit in the last episode. Oh yeah. And in the last episode, Igrit hesitates, and it costs her her life. And in this episode, Shay does not hesitate. She reaches for the knife, and that's what costs her her life. Um, so both, but in both cases, the, the woman ends up dying, but they, they both react differently. Like there was still hope for John and Negrit. Here, Shay lunges for the knife. 
so um it's just pretty interesting she's struggling and he's fighting her off and he he's on top of her and he knocks the knife out of her hand and she's like slapping him like you know like uh like girl style (laughs) like the like the sand snakes with their little hand slap game and uh and he grabs for the necklace and like lifts her like her neck and her body up and starts strangling her with the necklace and she's like ah! he freaks out and knocks him and she knocks him off the bed which gives him the perfect leverage to finish choking her out and talking about amazing performances in this episode his face as he squeezes the chain around her neck oh my god like all the emotions right? like he like can't it's like he can't even comprehend the reality it's like a little kid who's seeing something horrible and like squeezing their eyes shut as as tightly as possible you know, you know what i mean he's like doing that totally and his mouth is contorting oh, his face oh it's so sad it's like he's almost killing himself in a way too yeah yeah totally yeah that's a great way to put it and uh just heartbreaking and and reigns of Castamere is playing very ominously yep and uh those hands of gold are always cold in the books it's more clear that that ha- that necklace is made of golden hands oh okay because uh, it's the necklace of the hand of the king i found it kind um, of ironic that he kills her with a necklace because that's what he was on trial for is killing joffrey oh, using a necklace oh damn yeah nice. and he- Shay was kind of the nail in the coffin for him being convicted. Right. Like Karma's with her bitch, with yeah. her story and also giving Tyrion enough rage to have his outburst and fuck the whole plan up so she gets strangled with a necklace by because Tyrion was on trial for using a poison called the strangler that was carried in a necklace. Yes, beautiful beautifully uh laid out there Rachel yeah. nice job so uh <laughs> so man that's just so brutal and after he you know he kind of lets tension off the necklace after she stops struggling and the camera pans over and Shay's uh, head is upside down and she's dead and every time oh it's just unfortunate for the actress every time I notice there's like a big vein sticking out in the middle of her forehead yeah you know it's like funny. a shadow on half her face I actually have a vein like that in my forehead too um oh, yeah. when I get like really mad <laughs> or it's if funny. I hang upside down like the way she was I I have that same vein and it, it does it causes it, it does it causes shadows <laughs> And she, it for in this angle and the shape of her head, she, it just makes her look like an alien kind yeah, of. Yeah, for I, sure. I just think that every time, you know, it's just kind of funny. Yes. Um. So he he's freaking out and he apologizes. I'm I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, twice and then it's fucking brutal and he just keeps getting the shit end of the stick every fucking time. You know, yes. and like you can't help but feeling sorry for him, like. All he does is try so hard to like be good and do good things and he people hate him and people you know abuse him and everything and and he's a dwarf which just makes you feel even more badly for him i know and uh so you just can't help but feeling sorry for him and uh as mad as he had been at tywin beforehand now he is a thousand times more mad <laughs> you know <laughs> and as that madness is sort of like realizing itself he looks over and sees joffrey's crossbow hanging on the wall yeah 
Yep. And that wraps up my number two. Awesome. It's a great number two. Thanks. Yeah, it's a good scene. It is. It's a sad scene, but it's and it's really intense too. Yeah. All right. So what's uh, your number one? My number one is Tywin's death. Awesome. And I I do want to just start kind of at the beginning with Tyrion's escape. Um, we we find out that Varys is helping Jaime, and the look on Tyrion's face is like relief because I think he's relieved that you know obviously he's being let go by his brother, but I think he's also relieved that he finds out that Varys is helping because he realizes that Varys kind of in still a on his round, side. Yeah, roundabout way kept his word to Tyrion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, the funny thing too, uh, first line of the scene, oh, get on with it, you son of a whore. <laughs> Is that any way to speak about our mother? Yes, I love Fucking that. Classic. And it's so sad to watch them say goodbye. Yeah, it's really, it's, it's funny too because uh, he's like, just walk up this door, knock twice, knock twice again, and Varys will open. And then he just sort of starts walking away. It's like he's like rushing off trying to get back to his post so he won't be noticed and it's like he doesn't comprehend the full gravity of the moment like yeah. that they may never see each other again yeah and Tyrion speaks up i i suppose this is goodbye then you know and jamie realizes what's happening and they he rushes over to him and just gives him this huge hug and kisses him and it was so sad like i love i love that they chose for Jamie to kiss him like on yeah. the side of the face because it's like brotherly love you know it's it just felt so real and so painful and Jamie wrenching moment rushes off again and Tyrion again goes Jamie thank you for my life and right. this is really telling because quickly now I mean not only is the obvious reason that Tyrion is saying that because he's saving his life here but I think it's also symbolic of Jamie making his life easier and more, more enjoyable all through the years. His whole life. His whole life. Yeah. Thank you for my life. You know, yeah. he's always protected him and helped him and loved him and treated him like a, you know, a normal person. So I, I loved that sentiment in this scene. Yeah. Thank you for and my life. And it kind of chokes up Jamie, too. Yeah, absolutely. He's, yep, he's just like, quickly now. Yeah, so um, I did have Shay, the dead whore, in my notes <laughs> as well. So I'll just kind of skip over that, because where I'll pick up is um, when he picks up the crossbow and starts walking yeah. through the hallway. Because he has this, this, like, he's kind of dragging the, the thing that pulls the string back. Right. And it's kind of creepy. Sort of like Halloween, right? Yes. Doesn't he like drag the knife along stuff? Yes. That's what I thought too. It's like kind of and, grim uh, reapery. Yeah, and I'm thinking, God damn, these the, the hands chambers are extensive. Like that's a long walk down the hallway to the, the privy. Yeah. And he kind of kicks open the door and <laughs> Tyrion. Tyrion put, put down, down the, the crossbow. crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> And he sort of figures out who let him out real quick, too, huh? Yes, he does. You know, how did you escape? I assume it's your brother. He's always had a soft spot for you. Yeah. 
And so he's know, been paying attention to his actual family a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, they, they start kind of having their conversation and Tywin is, you know, shaming your father has always given you pleasure because he's asking Tyrion to, like, let him get out of the shitter. <laughs> and Right, Elvis style. Yeah, into, you know, a more appropriate place to have a conversation. <laughs> Just throw it back to the hound scene. Um, and you shit yourself when you die. Tywin's in the right place. <laughs> and I guess we'll get to see if Lannisters really do shit gold. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. That's super funny. <laughs> I can't take all the credit for that one. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so we... Tyrion's like, you would actually kill me for a crime that you know I didn't commit. You know yeah. I didn't kill Joffrey. You know and On top it. of that, he's like, you've wanted me dead my whole life. And Tywin's just like, yeah. Pretty much. Um, but then it's very interesting <laughs> what Tywin does here. He said, I would never let Ilan Payne take your head. You're a Lannister. You're right. my and like, for son. Real? And it's like, Seriously? what the fuck? Why is he in a cell still then? You know? Yeah. He's just trying to get out of the situation. Totally. Just saying whatever he needs to say, trying to manipulate, just like the Hound was, to try to get Arya to kill him. He's just saying what he needs to say to try to get Tyrion to not kill him. Exactly. Um, so they start talking about Shay and Tywin's like, oh, well, she was just a whore. <laughs> Say that word again. Yeah. And what? You'll kill your father on the privy? No, you're my son. He keeps saying that to Tyrion. Like, you're my son. You're not going to kill me. Right. And I love Tyrion's response to that. You sentenced me all the same. Why? Yeah. And why? Why would you do that? Like, and is that the reason why he went back to Tywin? Like, he just has to know why? Kind of like Orson with the Beatles crushing Beatles, yeah. conk, 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 Tywin, just trying to conk, conk, Tyrion. He just needs to know why. I think he's trying to figure it out. Like, why? I need to know why before I flee. Like, why would my own father do this? Especially now that you're sitting here saying that I'm a Lannister and I'm your son. Like, right. why do you have me on... <laughs> on trial for a murder I didn't commit and you allowing know I didn't commit Ilan Payne cutting his head off the next day. Yeah. Um so again Tywin is like let's go out of the the privy. Like let's go talk somewhere else and I I can't go back there. Can't go back there. And he She's goes, in there. You're afraid of a dead whore? Thrum. You shot me. <laughs> I love the way he uh, he delivers that line too. You shot me. Like it's surprise and shock and yeah, it's almost like a question. Like, like oh my god, he actually did it. <laughs> yeah. And then and there's zero hesitation too. The second he says horror, it's just boom. Yeah. And then he looks at Tyrion and he goes, "You're no son of mine." And it's like, yeah, we we know this. Like, we know that you don't like Tyrion. You know that you don't even think he's your son. So now you, the truth comes out. Yeah, I am your son. I have always been your son. And then it's lights oh, out. And, oh, 
And as he, uh, after the, uh, that first shot with the crossbow too, um, he sort of just calmly reaches back, reaches for the reloading device and he's just taking his time reloading it while Tywin is kind of reacting. Yeah. He's trying to oh, figure like, out what just you happened. shot me. Oh, it's crazy the way he says that. Yeah. I love it. He's such a great actor. I love Tywin. He's one of my yeah. favorite characters for sure. Definitely. Definitely. That's what one cool thing about um, reading the books second is that you have these pictures of the characters in your mind. And like, yeah, the book gives you detailed descriptions of the way the characters look and like their, you know, defining traits and everything. And the, the book descriptions sort of meld onto the base that you have of the characters from the show. And if you like these actors like like we do, it just enhances the books a lot more having this vivid image of what the characters look like. It definitely I does. I started the books after I watched the show. Yeah, same here. And I'm kind of glad I did because yeah, it... I would advocate that. Yeah. it. I mean, most of the time I would be saying that opposite. Like I read the Harry Potter books before I watched the movies and I would always go back oh the books are way better the books are way better but in this scenario i think the no, watching the show first while the books are different and different things happen they the show watching the show before reading the books enhances your book experience for right. sure and interestingly you know how they always say the books are better you're just setting yourself up for disappointment if you read the books first and then watch the show yeah. Um, whereas if you watch the show, the show's fucking awesome. And then you read the books and the books are even more awesome. So you're a not being disappointed by the secondary medium. It's enhancing and expanding everything on the show and giving you more detail and more knowledge and more experience. So it's just so much better watching the show first and then reading the books. Yeah, totally. I completely agree with that sentiment for sure. So that wraps up my number one. What is nice. your number one? Real quick before my number one, uh, Tyrion has a, he drops the mic or the crossbow in this case as he walks out of the privy, oh, yeah. which is hilarious. That's Just a right. Funny little moment. Yeah. So uh, my number one is it's not silver, it's iron. Ooh. Okay. Rachel, what kind of horses are you riding here? An Icelandic pony. <laughs> That's in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. And in my notes is Rachel, what kind of horses are you riding here? <laughs> She's in Iceland. She's on a pony. <laughs> and you can tell they're at the salt pans because she gets to the boat and they're shoveling salt, <laughs> which is funny. And I think on this boat ride, she goes by the name Salty. Oh, so really? In, in, okay. In I didn't know Because she always, you know, she's preparing for the for her stint at the house of black and white by going by all these different names for sure. squab salty airy you know etc yeah um so <laughs> kind of funny she wants to see the captain she's already talking to him um she says she wants to go north to the wall which tells her that her first thought is to go to john obviously so that he can muss her hair and call her little sister as we hear so many times in the books from Arya's perspective uh, one of her favorite things, John, you know, rubbing his hand through her hair and calling her little sister. They they do have a very special bond. They those do, two, yeah. Which is kind of nice. 
And so uh, it turns out no chance of going there. He's like, I'm not going north, child. You know, she's begging like, I can work, I can, I can pay, I can, I, can I won't clean. need a cabin. Yeah, I can scrub the, the decks, swab the poop decks on all seven seas. And uh, he's like, I'm not going north, child. I'm going home. Where's home? The free city of Bravos. Serendipity, you right. know. And uh, he starts. He turns and starts to walk away. And she's like, wait, wait, I have something else. More silver won't make a difference, girl. It's not silver. It's iron. And she holds out the coin given her to her by Jock and Hagar, the faceless man coin. And it is amazing the way the captain's face and attitude and yeah. demeanor changes upon seeing that coin. He's so shocked. He, d- he like doesn't even know how to react. It takes him a second, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he he knows that, you know. I mean, you see that coin, and you know that the person you're dealing with is not to be messed with, and that they're reporting to a higher power. You know. Yeah. This how how did you, Valar Magulus? And he like tips his head. Valor do Harris. Yes. You know, of course, you shall have a cabin. You know, and he just gives her like everything she would, you know, would ask for, but hasn't. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. And, yeah, and it's just so fucking cool, and excitement and triumph abound as the music, you know, changes from the sad reigns of Castamere that we've been hearing all episode, basically. And, and oh, I love this music when she's on the yeah, boat. Ugh. It's the Game of Thrones theme. Yes, like upbeat. In with orchestrated like choir, slightly differently. With like choir humming. Yeah, singing choirs. And oh, it's beautiful. So, so good. I've gone to the Game of Thrones live ex- uh, live concert experience twice with my husband. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It is, if it's coming to your area, you have to go. It is so amazing. I, oh, I'm not going to spoil it. I'm hoping they do another round. Yeah, I think they will. Um, yeah, they, we've been scouring to. the internet waiting to get to get tickets again for next year uh, but they, they do, do this i'm not going to give away too much because it really is an experience and you do have to just check it out for yourself but when they do this song they have the choir and they're like walking around the stage and like this big kind of like snake like or they Procession. had it, yes and it's just so it's so amazing hearing it live. It's it brings yeah. the music to life for sure. I saw Star Wars in concert too, and it was a similar thing. Like not without all the theatrics and everything that that. Not to spoil anything from Game of Thrones in concert, but without all of the theatrics and stuff that's like happening around you, um, it was still amazing hearing the Star Wars music being played by a live orchestra, even just synced up to video montages on the screen. And you it's know? completely enhanced my watching of the show because i i hear the music now yeah you have like explanations for the music and like yeah and different memories for it and i have different feelings for it and i pick up on the music changes and i really didn't start noticing the music until the first time we went to the concert a couple years ago and I walked out of there, like looking at my husband. I was like, "That is the coolest thing we've ever seen." Yeah, I've got to go. I've heard it's really cool. I mean, if even if you have to like drive and stay overnight, I'm telling you, like save up. It's so worth it. It's unbelievable, especially if you guys. I mean, 
if you're fans enough to listen to a podcast about Game of Thrones, this will blow your mind. <laughs> It'll blow your mind. <laughs> yeah, and the concert's pretty good, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of the music, a unique thing that they do here as the episode ends, um, the, the screen cuts to black, and the music continues to play for like another one or two bars before the credits pop up. And it just like really like it leaves you sitting there absorbing the music and the emotion. And I just thought it was a really interesting and excellent creative directing directing decision to um, let the music ride and over the blackness for a few minutes. It's like this music video that I made back in high school to like a I don't like this heavy metal song and I it's the whole video is like cutting back and forth between all these different images like creating these crazy ambiences and then as the song peaks and like goes into its like most intense moment I just cut the screen to black for that whole like 10 15 seconds of the most intense moment of the song and then as the song ends you get a little bit more visual stimulation but it's it's like sometimes removal of the audio of the visual stimulus enhances the like you know it makes it more intense because you're fully enveloped in the sound and you're noticing all the little details of the sound completely yeah it's just really cool i love that directing decision very nice directing in this episode just in general like there's that one shot where um he's like He's like, let's just, you know, Tywin's like, let's just go back into my chambers and talk. And he starts to stand up and Tyrion just like raises the crossbow a little bit. Yeah, like and sit it, down. It, yeah, Tywin pauses and it goes this, it's this shot where it starts off zoomed in on Tyrion's face, focused. And then the camera pans downward to the crossbow and the focus shifts from Tyrion's face to the, to the crossbow, focusing in on the gilded front with the little gilded lion yes, and stuff. Yes, yes. Another beautifully, beautifully captured shot. Um, just so many good things like that all throughout this episode. Just really, really well-directed episode. Absolutely. I wish I know who knew who directed it so I could uh, give them the full credit they deserve. Maybe I'll mention it like uh, in editing. I'll look it up or something. Yeah. But yeah, this is just a great episode. And like I mentioned before, it's just so pivotal. So many characters there whose stories just drastically change after this the hound obviously Arya sent in a totally different path varies and Tyrion sent in a totally different path um, everything changes up at the wall everything changes for the wildlings everything changes for Stannis everything changes for everybody and uh, it's just really this is one of the most pivotal episodes of the series and I don't mean pivotal as in, like as meaning important although I, it is important I mean pivotal as if as in storylines are pivoting like directions are changing you know yeah so i just looked it up it's directed by alex graves <sighs> nice yeah and it's written Fucking. by um david benioff and db weiss of course of course it is yeah, yeah. it's a great great episode so much happens yeah. in this episode i mean yeah Let's uh, jump into our notes because there's so much more to talk about that yeah. we haven't even gotten close to covering. I know. I had a hard time picking my... I could have had a top 20 for this so episode. So could I. I mean, like, we haven't talked about Bran or Danny. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. Or, like, we, we just barely mentioned Bran at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the mountain. God damn. Yeah. I know. So, all right. So, let's take it away. What do you got? Um, 
so let's start with the mountain and all right <laughs> might as well and so we were in Picel's laboratory and he's wigging out because he realizes that Cersei has a new pet <laughs> and that's Kyburn. And we discover that in this scene that the, the blade was poisoned mm -hmm. with manticore venom. The cause appears to be manticore venom. It is the death's head manticore. And uh, this, this shows you that Kyburn knows more. Yes. Right off the bat, he can tell you specifically which type of manticore, you know. Yeah, and so uh, Kyburn starts talking to Cersei about, you know, like, I can actually fix this. And Pycelle is like, this man is not even a maester. This is dangerous and unnatural, which it <laughs> totally is. Like, you can't really argue with his logic there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, his curiosity was deemed dangerous and unnatural. Rightly so, in my opinion. And you can tell my you can tell I'm sick because my voice is all fucked up when I'm trying to imitate Mister or uh, you know. I think it actually sounds pretty self. good because he sounds kind of sick too. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's funny. You know, and so he's like trying to reason with Cersei, like, "Don't do this. This is not. This is not what we're we should be doing." This man is not even a maester, let alone grand maester. Yes, that's for the best. No maester knows how to save him. Yeah. That's exactly the sort of arrogance that had him expelled from the Citadel, Your Grace. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, it's clear that he's done these types of experiments before. Um, and so I love Cersei here. You're dismissed, Grand Maester. But y Your Grace, this this is my laboratory. Yeah, and she's like, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So I loved that. Picel is bitch made. Bitch made yeah. So um, Picel leaves and he's pissed and he kind of like bumps into something and like pushes it out of the way. And Cersei asks, will it weaken him? And Kyburn's like, oh no. <laughs> and I love her Cersei's face here. She's like, oh my goodness. Like, what are we like Franken Mountain. Yeah, you should know the process may change him somewhat. Yeah. Oh man, somewhat. So He's like a purple beast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of all I had on that scene. Yeah, it's very uh creepy, interesting scene. Um and man, the mountain is huge. Right? Just monstrous. Yeah. I have the next one on my notes is Danny's titles, titles, yes. titles. Yes, yeah, same here. <laughs> okay, why don't you talk about this one? All right, so it starts off with uh, Missande giving away all the titles and titles and titles, and they're just getting more and more impressive. It's a little excessive. <laughs> yeah, you stand before Daenerys Stormborn, the unburnt Queen of Marine, Queen of the Andals, and the Rohnar and the First Men. Queen, <laughs> I'm trying to do, of like, the Great Cross Sea, yeah. Mother of Dragons, you know, Breaker of Chains. You know, on the radio, those voices that are like give you the terms and conditions after they give you their great offer or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> fucking hilarious. And um, I'm thinking, does Missande read out all of the titles every time a supplicant arrives in this chamber? 
I think so. Because remember last time it was like, oh, how many more do we have to go, Miss Sunday? You know, oh my God. Like, 172 more, your grace. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You stand before Daenerys Stormborn. You stand before Daenerys Stormborn. Oh my God. The unburnt, the unburnt, the unburnt, the unburnt. The unburnt. <laughs> Mother know, of dragons. Over and over. <laughs> yeah. Just over and over and over. It'd be oh so my funny. God. Yeah. So um, first we get Finez. I love Finez. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about him. Very sympathetic character. Poor old guy. He points out that old, the young are abusing the old in these uh, places that she's set up. And she's like, I promise you, I will. This will not be tolerated, you know? Yeah, she's super uncomfortable with this whole conversation. Yeah, and he's like, but even, even if they're safe, you know, like, who would I be there? What purpose would I serve? With my master, I was a teacher. I had the respect and love of his children. And she's like, what is it that you want from me? And he asks to let himself sell himself back to his master, which is like, damn, like that is what a, like a psychological. He must be well cared for, though, too, I think, because, yeah. you know, like he has the respect and love of his children. I mean, I don't think he would want to go back if his master yeah. is like beating him and not feeding him. I mean, clearly he's a loved and wanted person in that household in that home yeah the way that slaves are like treated horribly is definitely not universal you know like in this case he seems to be more of a family member yeah i think and i think that's an interesting like he development mutually decided with the master that it was best if he left you yeah know? like he had some type of conversation he wasn't told to leave the master gave him opportunity to discuss it with him and i think this is a great development in danny realizing that not all masters again yeah. are horrible people and there's nuance yeah there's it's there's gray there's a lot of gray for just sure. like george r. r martin's characters and everything you know that's what they say about him nothing's black and white you know and it applies to this concept and, and george r. R. r r martin has a lot more than 50 shades of gray yeah <laughs> kinky yeah <laughs> Um, I've never read or watched the, those movies, so I just... Neither have I. I've just been compared to the protagonist by women. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, she decides... She comes up to with a pretty good compromise. Um, she allows him to sign a contract with his former master, not covering a period longer than a year. So it, it kind of prevents them like this the slaves who would wish to do this from being abused for long periods and gives them an out if something goes wrong you know yep. after a year or whatever but barristan does point out to her that masters will take advantage of this situation and the men serving them will be slaves in all but name yeah and, uh, he's that's right true. You know, it's, it's sad i love finez when he says to those of us too old to change there's only fear and squalor right you know yeah. it's like they're they're just too old to they've lived this life their really long time i mean he's an old man an old man and yeah. i think i think danny did a good thing here for sure yeah. and she has a solid philosophical um reason um that she employs here that she uh, describes she says I did not take this city to preside over the injustice I fought to destroy. I took it to bring people freedom. But freedom means making your own choices. Yeah. You know? And uh, then, you know, I will allow you to sign a contract 
So it's it's important that distinction that freedom means making your own choices. If you want to sign away your rights, you can, and that's what waivers are for in in our country. You know, yeah, what I mean? absolutely. You waive your rights, and you legally can do that. And I just love that you know he he we I'm backtracking here a little bit. He it starts off in. Um, what's he, is he speaking Valerian? Um, I'm not sure. Not sure, actually. Whatever language he's speaking, and then he goes, you know, I can speak the common tongue, and she goes, um, you speak it quite well, and he goes, well, you know, I, I taught language and history, the little girl that I taught, you know, has, has learned much about your family and has a lot of admiration for you and she's smiling yeah and you know i hope i can prove worthy of her admiration so we immediately get off the bat that he he is a slave that's true but he's educated yeah he's yeah he's loved by these children yeah he's had a you know mutual conversation with his master about what they felt was best and so i mean in danny's mind she knows that he's not going back to a place of abuse he's being Mm -hmm. abused now in these mess halls basically and so right it's just a really it's another like you've talked about the marine storyline is quite slow but it is so paramount for danny's development very nuanced yeah so uh anything else you want to say about finesse no i just love finesse (laughs) nice so um finesse rolls out and then we get the the most sympathetic character in all of game of thrones who shows up and we pretty much talked about this already but there's a few things worth mentioning that it's just fucking heartbreaking that this is a stellar performance um just tear jerking every time the the prose that he uses the you know the way that he seems so helpless he can't even understand what she's saying i know and he seems so scared and he's sad and yeah like right he's got to be terrified her fucking dragon just like roasted his kid like what is how is she even going to react she's standing like she's sitting up on this like giant stairwell and he's like this commoner and he right. doesn't She's understand like what they're talking about. Yeah, it's a very confusing situation for him. He's grieving. He's afraid. Are you are you talking down about my pet? Yeah. Slave. Right. Worthless, you know, worthless peasant. Ugh. You're his next meal. The you way know, and like, he's so like meek. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. And you know, Masande shows compassion here, you know. She's saying, you know, to come to come forward like it's okay mm-hmm. it's okay the queen says you may approach. and then she starts translating for him yep. he came from the sky the black one yeah the a winged, winged shadow. shadow and like he he's like so shaken up he starts one sentence he's like i've brought you you know and he can't even like finish saying my dead girl yeah my he, girl like, changes my little girl to, yeah he came from the sky and we had a discussion on facebook the other day on our group on our uh on our podcast page people were asking what would be drogon's title like you know we have balerion the black dread for oh. instance and um 
I think, of course, it has to be Drogon, the winged shadow. Yes, I like you know? that. Oh, man. And this guy coins it. It's just the perfect name because he's so big that he just casts shadows over like everything. And he's him. also black and shadows and are dark. Black, yeah. yeah. Uh, the winged shadow. And uh, when he says the winged shadow, Danny shudders. Yeah. Um, it's like horrible. it hits her. And then he, he says he came from the sky and my girl, my little girl. And Danny is freaking the fuck out. Like she is like trembling and like spazzing, you know? Yeah. And then it cuts away from, from that guy and Danny is talking to Miss Sande. What was her name? Zala, your grace. How old was she? Three. And Ugh. she's just like, three. Three. And, uh, yeah. And still no word of Drogon. Sailors saw him flying over the black cliffs three days ago, my queen. Nothing since then. Meet me at the catacombs, she says. And as she walks out, of this, um, you know, the scene with Missande and Barristan, which must be taking place after the supplicants, at, like later on in the day or something. She looks like she's just in a fucking daze. Like she may have even just stopped everything. Like right after this guy left, just like this needs to be handled immediately, you know. But she's walking away and she's just looking dead ahead, and she just looks like she's on another planet. Like she's not comprehending anything that's going on her around her you know yeah and she uh takes Rhaegal and Viserion into the catacombs and uh chains them up in some really good CG um oh, she's dragging time. dragging the chain like the big yeah dragging the collars along and make they making them seem heavy and uh lifting them up over their their necks and Really, really good CG. Um, very impressive. Not perfect, but just about as close as you can get yeah. to, where, to where any criticism is like ridiculous to be criticizing. You know, like I could, I could, you know, make certain things like, oh, when she's when she's carrying the collar through the air, you can tell that she's not actually holding it because she's just moving it too quickly. And if it, if it was heavy and had mass, it would be moving slowly, and the directionality would change at a different rate. That's a, those are ridiculous criticisms. This fucking CG is amazing. Yeah, it truly is. You and know, and you can't train an actress to like to fake this type of physics. No, you know? no, not at all. Um, there's in an earlier episode when they're going to uh, to Karth, and she's trying to feed Drogon sitting on her shoulder. Um, she like looks. She goes to like look up at him, and her eyes aren't like looking where they put the imposed drogon on her shoulder <laughs> so funny. i mean there's a couple little things like that here and there but sure it's not bad i i found this really symbolic um because we earlier we hear her all her titles and breaker of chains is one of them right. and here she oh. is putting her own dragons in chains and i go back to when she says a dragon is not a slave Right. And it's just so And as she's taken the slaves, the collars off of all these slaves, she's now putting collars on her own children. Yes. I and just essentially enslaving them. Breaker of her own heart in this scene yeah. for sure. Oh my god. And the sad dragon music is playing. Ooh. Oh, I know. Ooh. 
<laughs> you know. I know. Epic. It's so sad. So fucking good. And she just like she starts walking out and she can't even look back. And as she exits, you see tears strolling down her, like streaming down her face. And then she finally looks back just for a millisecond as the door closes. And the dragons are freaking out. Oh, there's screams. Ugh. They're like, Mom, we didn't do anything. Mom! It was Drogon. You know, yeah. Mom, Mom. Mom! Why am I in timeout? <laughs> Lady's a good girl. She didn't hurt anyone. No. You know? Viserion didn't hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Yeah. So yeah, really heart wrenching scene again. There's so many fucking heart wrenching moments in this episode. Fuck you, HBO. <laughs> God damn. I know. It, this is such a this is a solid episode, man. I mean, it was yeah. like I know we were texting back and forth. Like it took me like close to three hours <laughs> to take yeah. notes on this episode. <laughs> probably yeah it took me fucking three and a half four hours probably taking yeah. notes totally. yeah because i had to like there's so much dialogue pause right pause right pause yeah right. pause rewind pause rewind yep. <laughs> just so ridiculous there's so much happening yeah yeah craziness so much and it's a long episode too i didn't realize yep. that it was longer than normal yeah with the um with the bonus scenes and stuff on um you're not bonus scenes, but the behind the scenes thing at the end on HBO Go, it was like 108 or um, an hour and eight minutes or something. So it's probably like an hour and three minutes. Yeah, it's a little longer. Longer episode than typical. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's kind of all I had on Danny. Let's take a dragon to the wall. How about that? Okay. Oh, sorry. I guess we can't take a dragon. Let's take a donkey then. Fucking donkeys. Fucking donkeys. The dragons are chained up, so we'll take a. Well, Drogon's a not. Oh yeah. If we can find yeah. him. Yeah, if we can find him, we'll take Drogon. Yeah, they can't find Drogon. He just comes up and roasts <laughs> little girls and then flies off into the abyss. Remember the next time that Danny sees him, she's like standing on the the yes, um, terrace so of the pyramid. And he's just right there, and she like reaches out to touch him, and he like looks at her and flies off. Yeah. He's monstrously huge at that point. Yeah, monster. Drogon's the shit. I want a dragon. <laughs> I would be torn in between like wanting to have a dragon and wanting to kill all the dragons. Yeah. You know I mean? So I used to work at this really tiny pet supply store in Oregon when I was going to college, and there was a mastiff that would come into our store. A black mastiff and his name was dragon nice and he was the most legit dog i will never forget that dog <laughs> that's fucking cool and he was like kind of scary looking like a dragon because he was really black and he had this you know the big mastiff face he was like 200 pounds but Damn. he was he was like the biggest happiest teddy bear <laughs> So his right. name, he's like, like Hodor. Yeah, his name totally fit his look, but not his personality. It That's was so great. funny. Love it was it. like a cuddly dragon. Like <laughs> Puff the <laughs> like Magic. Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So uh so Maester Eamon is reading a eulogy for the fallen Black Brothers. And uh poor Pip and Gran yeah. their watch has ended, you know. A lot, a lot of their watches ended. There were a yeah, lot of bodies lot on that pyre. Our brothers, we shall never see their like again. Um, so it's sad. And we see Shireen through the flames. Yes. Foreshadowing her demise. 
I have that in my notes. By flames. And then we also see Melisandre looking through the flames at John, very wolf-like look. And um, I thought it was interesting. This is the first time they see each other, and she seems sort of fixated on him. But interesting, from both angles, we're looking through the flames at at Melisandre and then we're looking through the flames at John. So the directors are making it apparent that there's fire in between John and Melisandre sort of buffering them in this case. And it symbolizes Melisandre likes what she sees too. I think yeah, she's totally. like, Oh, Hey, yeah, <laughs> hey yeah, over yeah. There. <laughs> she, she knows like there's something, you know, and about yeah, him. she's fixated, but the fire between them symbolizes how the Lord of light connects them. And there's, the, the god of fire is is connecting them it's between them you know so i just thought it was really clever symbolism employed by the directors here placing fire between the two for sure and john looks kind of uncomfortable like why is this woman staring at me right <laughs> like she wants yeah. to eat me <laughs> yeah i eat her <laughs> oh <my God>. um <laughs> um you've been thinking about this ginger minge how it tastes <laughs> so then um Tormund and John are talking and Tormund just like doesn't understand what the fuck is going on. Your old man patched me up. Why? You're so you're keeping me alive so you can torture me. No one's going to torture you. So how do we die? Hanging, beheading, dropping us from the wall? He just doesn't get like, Yeah, and what he's going John's on. like he's sworn to treat all men, friend or foe. Right, right. I don't know what happens to the prisoners. Who decides? I suppose Stannis does. He your king now? I don't have a king. You spent too much time with us, Jon Snow. You can never be a kneeler again. <laughs> and he smiles as he says that, you know. I love the relationship between Jon and Tormund. Like, they're never really enemies, ever, you know? No, and it kind of echoes, honestly, Mance and Jon's relationship, too. Sure. Well, Jon thinks that Tormund is Mance the first time he meets yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> so, um... You know, we're gonna burn your dead. Do you, right. you know, want to say any words? Like, what words? Words. What the fuck? Words? Funeral words. <laughs> <laughs> the dead can't hear us boy yeah yeah and then he asks did you love her and he doesn't really answer she loved you she told you no all she ever talked about was killing you that's how I know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, kind of makes John smile a little bit yeah like a funny little memory of her yeah, like, I knew she loved you because all she ever talked about was killing you after you left. Like, that's how you know, you know? Like, if you feel that strongly about about somebody, it's only because you have, you know, some strong feelings towards them. And so uh, he tells him, you know, she belongs in the North. The real, real north. north. Yeah. You understand me? Like, yep. you need to take her out there. Yeah. I find it interesting. It's so sad as he's building her funeral pyre that he burns her next to the weirwood tree. And it's mm, the same place he notice. took his vow. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, kind of symbolic. Yeah, I thought so, too, because, I mean, laying with her kind of broke his vows. And now he's, you know, burning her 
by where he took those vows. Uh, so it's like an affirmation to his vows, but it also is sort of, it's a symbolic important place for him by, by burning her with respect in front of that tree. He's doing it in front of the old gods as witness. And, yeah. um, and it's almost like, like almost like a vow to her that he's doing it up in the north out of respect for her and giving her the proper treatment, you know? Yeah, and when he goes to behead her when they first meet too, she asks him, Will you burn my body? <laughs> right. You know, right. and he's like, No. And so I, I think it's really a really symbolic scene for him to burn her body and give her that release and respect and mm -hmm. also doing it in front of the weirwood tree, which we know are kind of like the eyes mm -hmm. all over. So that means that means Bran saw it. Yep. Basically. Yep. Since he sees everything past, present, future through the trees. Yeah, you know? so I just thought it was really important. And then Jon Snow cries. He, he, yeah. He's he, crying when he walks away from her. Yep, his, he sheds a tear and his lip is trembling and, and he, he closes shuts his, his eyes. eyes. Yeah, and just, his little, yeah. his nose just kind of crinkles up and, you know, he's, I mean, this the camera cuts away, but we know he's about ready to just like have a breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yep. Again, yeah. good directing, cutting at the perfect moment. For sure. Ugh. Really, really well acted, very convincing. Yeah. Great, perfect timing with the tears and, you know, and everything. For like sure. The tear. Yeah. Yep. And he, uh, he really does love her in real life, too. So, yeah. I, I Just had imagining that in my notes her lying too. there dead was probably enough for him to have the creative energy to, like, actually you know, cry cry yeah yeah for sure it's funny yeah oh so next john. we have hodor and bran right oh john oh john <laughs> i'll comfort you uh. <laughs> um yeah so the next notes that i have are uh hodor pulling bran and some are loping along yeah and, and jojen is struggling big time he's kind of mm -hmm. falling behind and he falls yeah mira's like we can stop we can rest and he's like no no no. we'll we'll rest with the three-eyed raven and i'm like rest in peace because you know you're about to die before you even get to the three-eyed raven <laughs> yeah and i think when he falls into the snow it he realizes that he's starting to live the vision that he had. Oh, man. Um, That's how he knows that we're already here. Yeah, Mira's like, we're not going to make it. And he's like, we're already here. And then at last, the tree. And it's oh, just like it's a so gorgeous shot. Um, and I'm wondering what percent is digital and what percent is not. <laughs> the yeah, way the leaves are looking. flickering and the sunlight shining behind it. It's so Yeah, like the crazy colors of the sky yeah it's a really awesome shot i want that like for my computer background <laughs> yeah and summer just like knows exactly where to go yeah summer and looks he, amazing uh, in this in yeah this summer just starts trotting off right towards the tree leading the way this is where we're going yep and they're all falling and then bam surprise bitch a hand reaches out zombie flick style and grabs jojen by the leg yeah, like I'm Day of the Dead I'm trying or some to understand shit. like why are they buried? They're probably laying in waiting um like booby traps like bear traps 
just waiting for for a brand to show up basically oh interesting so you, you, know, you think the, do you think the night king knows that bran is on his way i think that the the whites and the night king and the white walkers in general know that that the that the three-eyed raven is in there they've obviously they have him cornered there the three-eyed raven has employed oh, magic so they yeah. can't get in they've probably been there since since they probably chased him into there you know and have been waiting there ever since for people to come or for him to go or whatever they're just waiting yeah and you know it's funny when they ran so was was it was it sir pete that talked about dark sister about being in the cave um somebody mentioned it wasn't sir oh sir pete yeah yeah yeah, yeah. maybe Sir Pete the other day was talking about how Mira picked up a sword in the yes, cave. Yes, and it like kind of blew our minds. So when they yeah. ran into when they ran into the cave, I couldn't see it. And I know that he was talking it's about It's in a different part of the cave. It's yeah, okay, okay. It it's wasn't when in the, the front. it's when we have the fight. That's it's right. It's in the hold the door oh, episode. That's right. Okay. I was thinking it was this episode. Okay, because I was like pausing it. I was like, I don't see a sword. <laughs> <laughs> But that yeah, makes yeah, sense because episode. that's right. He went into talking about that she parried a White Walker's weapon with it, and it mm -hmm. it glowed white. That's right. Okay, I'm I was confused. Any moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so Jojen is being held down by this White Walk or this by this White Skeleton White. Amazing how they did the CG on these guys too. Yeah. Behind the scenes, it's like guys in green suits wearing bones over the top of their clothing, essentially, and. They oh, scrub really? out all the green. Yeah, it's fucking amazing how they do it. The one that comes that pops up in front of Bran is super freaky. Oh yeah. The one yeah, the the camera's like focused on him and he just like rises and, he and starts stands crawling up, up him. It reminded me of um what's that scary movie? Oh, I forget. The but ring? It, no, not the ring. <laughs> um Ringu has the creepy it's kind of like the creepy girl in the ring god what is that freaking movie the girl like crawls up under the covers of the girl's bed and then like pops her head out right in front of her face oh cool this is gonna drive me insane you'll think of it let me know when you when you do yeah just think about that and let me know uh so hodor is like Joden's Joden's trapped mira's freaking out Brand's like Hodor, help them, Hodor. You know, and Hodor, <laughs> Hodor looks back at Brand like, "Do I have to? Come yeah. on, this looks really scary." You know, and he's like, "Hodor, go!" You know, and so he finally like goes off to try to help, and and Brand decides to warg into Hodor to make the process more efficient because two whites jump on Hodor's back and they're like smashing his head with yeah, rocks. Yeah, and he's and stuff. just not the type. To... Yeah, he's not a fighter, you know. No, he's just like, oh, like why can't we all just get along, Hodor? You know? <laughs> I don't want to hurt you, you know. So Bran wargs into him and smashes them all up, and whites come out of the ice and they're running towards Bran while Bran is defenseless, Hod warged into Hodor, and right as they're about to like hit Bran, Summer Ex Machina comes flying through the through the sky like. <laughs> like superman or like ghost at the battle of castle black and just 90 degree intercepts these whites and just like munches on them and for sure oh, 
the uh, we of course we have to mention that these these skeletons are like the uh, the skeletons in uh, Jason and the Argonauts movie. Yeah, for sure. You know that famous old movie. Um, so Jojen's like, Bran, save yourself, you know, and Mira cleaves this one of the skeletons in two from the groin upwards with her blade. And yeah, the skeleton that was like, intense. Ah, splits in half and fucking cool. One of them, the she like stabs in awesome. the head. Oh yeah, great foley work. One of the uh, one of them, she like stabs through the head too, and if you apparently you hit him in the head and like and it kills him also in this case which is kind of weird considering their brains are probably gone um so as mira is cleaving this guy upwards from the groin the white that's lying on the ground next to jojen partially dismembered pulls a blade a blade out from a sheath on his waist and that blade looks rusty as fuck yeah just saying you know and so she cleaves that skeleton and all of a sudden looks back and it's just like consecutive stab wounds just I know <laughs> and he doesn't even like make any noise or anything and, and Bran is just or yeah yeah Jojen's just like oh, like looking at it and it's just quack quack because he knows after the it's other, coming just, mm-hmm, just slashing him right through the gut so brutal and Jojen and Mira freaks out yeah and runs over and uh, Jojen in a in a Another heart wrenching moment. Fuck me. Fuck you guys, HBO. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's like, she's freaking out, and he's telling her, you know, the, that's when the the children emerge. Right, come with me, Brandon Stark. He is lost. Talking about Jojen, yeah. and Mira's like, oh, oh, come with me or die with him. Yeah, yeah. Come with me or die with him. And she's he says to Mira, and Jojen looks up at her reassuringly. Go with them. You know, and smiles at her. And she's like, oh my God, like this is the worst. And she pulls out her own blade. And it reminds me of, um, what is it, when um, Osha finishes off Maester Lewin? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Under the tree. Slits his throat. Yeah. And yeah. Or like how the hound offed that guy who was dying a couple episodes ago. Yeah. That's where the heart is, you know? So she can't look while she's doing it but she slits his throat and there's a blood spray and then she doesn't even look down again she just gets up and runs basically and uh right about that time (laughs) the uh children tosses a fucking blue fireball which just bursts and disintegrates jojen yeah and we actually see we see the reflection of this in his eyes and i thought that was kind of symbolic because he's so cool because he saw his hand on fire. And we saw the reflection there. Too. Yeah. So I just thought it was, you know, tying in that he's seen his death. and Very good. I like that. Yeah, he saw it coming. Um, yeah. He's seen through his sure. eyes as he sees the fireball coming. And. Um, oh, my God. It was the grudge. Oh, the grudge. There yes. you go. Oh. I was close with the ring. Yeah. Grudge. Oh, thank God. It just like into my mind like it's the grudge (laughs) yes oh stop that's so freaky (laughs) i watched that with my roommate aaron in the dorms up at oregon state at like four in the morning and we screamed so loud that the ra told us to shut up (laughs) we're like sorry we're watching the grudge he's like oh i'll watch it with you guys (laughs) that's so funny yeah that was a great movie i like that one too yeah um so 
when Game of Thrones starts out, it's all politics and intrigue, and there's really not much elements of magic in the first season. You know, like they hook us early with just a, with just typical drama type stuff. Yeah. And then at the end of season one, the dragons are born, and it's like all these people who are skeptical about fantasy are now already hooked and they're like fuck i guess we'll just ride it out you know like most of them didn't think they would be interested in a fantasy series before that you know yeah so this is the moment where it's like full-on fantasy fucking little like ancient girls throwing blue fireballs with their hands like it doesn't get much more fantasy than that you know what i mean for sure Imagine, imagine if the show had started out like that though I think imagine how much smaller the audience would be. I was going to say I think their audience base would be a lot smaller. Right. So they basically tricked everybody into getting involved with this story that's just like a really good drama and now they've added in all these other elements from another genre and transformed the show and now it's created a whole new fan base for fantasy that never even existed before. So it's brilliant in terms of like steering popular culture and the mindset of an entire, you know, world into being more open-minded about a whole different genre of storytelling that, that hasn't been mainstream until now. You know what I mean? For sure. And you know, what's so funny is I still occasionally run into people that have not watched game of Thrones and I'm like, you're crazy. And one of them was my hairstylist assistant and I've been bugging him for months like you got to start game of thrones he's like no it's just not for me you know my boyfriend is telling me that i should too and i'm like seriously i like podcast about it that's how good it is (laughs) (laughs) and so he texted me a couple of days ago asking me how to find our podcast and i said so you started it he goes girl i have already watched season one (laughs) (laughs) Finally. And he's like, I hate Joffrey. I hope his end comes soon. And I was like, only time will tell. <laughs> yeah, don't start listening to the rewatch until you've watched the whole That's what I said. Thing. I said, you need to watch the whole series. He's like, I will probably watch it by the end of the year. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> he loves it. Yeah. And he's like, thank you so much for staying on me about it. <laughs> We're spreading the gospel far and wide. Yes. <laughs> yes. Converts. <laughs> yes. So, um... Yeah, that's when we get into the cave and the skeletons run in afterwards and just explode. That was and, so cool. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that the first time. Really cool. So we learn that the uh, they're powerless here and that there's some type of magic, probably similar to the wall. And um, we get a little explanation. The first men called us the children, but we were born long before them. Come, he waits for you. And it's funny that Hodor's been like carrying Bran this whole way, and he he just drops him and fucking makes him crawl the final crawl. few steps to the Red Raven. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe he just got freaked out. He was like, I don't want to go any closer, Bran. Here you go. <laughs> yeah, probably. You're the Three-Eyed Raven. I've been many things. Like he used to be Blood Raven, for instance. Now he's the Three-Eyed Raven. I also thought, because isn't there some type of theory that the Three-Eyed Raven is Brandon Stark in the future? Yeah. So Who I, knows, man? Um, you know, he says, I've been many things. Now I am what you see. Mm-hmm. And when he said, you know, I've been many things, I think he's like looking into his past. Oh, yeah, yeah, probably. 
My brother, he led you to us, and now he... He knew what would happen. From the moment he left, he knew and he went anyway. So, she's like, how do, how do you know? I've been watching you. All of you, all your lives. With a thousand eyes and one. And, uh, it doesn't really make... That line doesn't really make any fucking sense on the show, because... He has two eyes. <laughs> which you can clearly see but in the books <laughs> in the books he has one eye and there's like a root he's like grown into the tree and there's like a root growing out of his other eye socket oh okay. so he he sees through a thousand eyes meaning all the ravens and all the gods woods trees and all the other creatures and organisms that he looks to witness things happening in the world and one, referring to his one remaining eye on his body. So it's just kind of funny that they gave him two eyes on the show. It would have been easy enough to black one out and make it look like he just has one eye, but I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that. Oh, so that, interesting. So that line like loses all its weight for the show. Oh. Uh, unfortunately. That's too bad. Yeah, that's like one of the only like real criticisms I would have for the, the show. And it's a small one, so whatever. But yeah. uh, it... And it's funny, too, because this guy gets totally recast in the next season, and he looks totally different. Yeah. Which is hilarious. So, uh... Sure. You've come to me at last, Brandon Stark, the, uh, though the hour is late. I didn't want anyone to die for me. He died so you could find what you have lost. You're going to help me walk again? I know, that was so sad. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, nope! Not gonna happen. You will never walk again, but you will fly. You know, and it's such a tease. I'm like, fuck. I want to know. Yeah. Like, is he gonna warg into the ice dragon or something? I mean, obviously he'll be warging into ravens and flying like that. But I think there's greater implications. I I was just gonna say I I think the immediate thought is that you know he's gonna warg into ravens, but that there's a greater there's a greater symbology with that statement from yeah. him. He's going to warg into something that's more than a raven. Definitely. Definitely. So next is Brienne. We covered that. That's honestly, that's it for my notes. Yeah, I think that's probably it for mine too. Yep. That's it for mine too. All right. Kick ass. So we finally made it through that whole episode. Yeah. Oh, and what a good one it was. It, it was amazing. Yeah, really. Such a good episode. Um, setting the bar high. Even down to the music. I mean, like, right. oh, man, it's great. Definitely. So let's take a little break. Hang out, guys, because we'll be right back. BGR.com George R.R. R. Martin has an idea for yet another Game of Thrones spin-off series by, by Andy Meek. And personally, me speaking, 
I think this is a really fucking cool idea. Very artsy. Um, okay. Game of Thrones director or creator George R. R. Martin apparently just can't let go of Westeros and its myriad inhabitants. Not only is he hard at work on the next book in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, but we're also getting the final season of HBO's TV series early next year, followed by a Martin-helmed prequel at some point after that. We already know that prequel will be set in a distant past relative to the timeline we're familiar with, but Martin also has an idea for yet another related show. In a new interview, the epic fantasy author let slip that he actually has an idea for another spin-off series he'd like to pursue, though he hasn't exactly convinced HBO to back this one yet. The focus of the interview with Martin, New York Times published Friday in his is his new sci-fi show based on his 1984 work Night Flyers. However, the 70-year-old writer also lets slip his idea for a new Game of Thrones series. Inspired by the famous Tom Stoppard play, Rosencrantz and Guildenstein are dead, which follows two minor characters from Shakespeare's Hamlet. I wanted to do a show called Spear Carriers. <laughs> so fucking cool. Oh, nice. Which would actually be set during the events of Game of Thrones, but it wouldn't be following Danny, Tyrion, and Jamie. Martin says they would all be there in the background like Hamlet. And it would be more like, here's a story about a guy in the city's in the city watch. Here's a story about a prostitute at one of Littlefinger's brothels. Here's a story about a mummer who's in town to do juggling and tricks, and they all get caught up in the events. I think that that kind of show would be a lot of fun to do. Maybe I'll be able to convince them to do it. The folks, That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that a really cool idea? I love that idea. Like, you just see, like, Jon Snow from behind, like, fighting at the Battle of, Bast of the Bastards while, like... We're focusing on two different characters who are like small folk or something involved in the sure. fight. Sure. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> so they wouldn't even need to bring in the big actors to do those roles either because you could be like out of focus from behind and we're like, that's yep. Jon Snow. You know, like we recognize him, but he's they never have to show his face type thing. The folks at Vice quickly chimed in with a subsequent piece, noting that one of the best things about the fantasy series is its breathtaking depth. And they mentioned how one of... Arguably the best scenes in the show is the encounter between Arya, the Hound, and a dying peasant in Season 3. Imagine spinning a whole episode up about that layman, or say, about Ray the Septon before he met the Hound. The possibilities are endless and fascinating. So yeah, I thought that was a really cool idea. Very cool. I like that idea. It is hashtag Duncan approved. <laughs> nice. From LiveScience.com, Hodor Deep Sea Worms get Game of Thrones names. By Mindy Weisberger, senior writer. Marine worms that dwell in the numbing cold of the deep ocean don't care if winter is coming. <laughs> Be that as it may, several newly described species of these worms now owe their names to Game of Thrones. Uh -huh. Inspired by the remorseless Arya Stark, Abyssaria Akis, yeah, and everyone's favorite man of few words, Hodor. Hodor, Hodor, and Hodor, and Andural. So two species of worms called Hodor, Hodor, and Hodor, Andural. That's awesome. So yeah. The deep sea worms are a part of a family called Polyonide, which includes about 900 species. These newfound creatures were collected during an expedition to the equatorial Pacific Ocean at depths between 13,000 and 16,000 feet 
5,000 meters. Super deep. That's really deep. Yeah. (laughs) Scientists reported in a new study, deep dwelling worms such as these are not as well suited as their cousins who live in shallower habitats. But the newfound sample scientists substantially expanded the group's family tree, describing 17 newfound species and four newfound genuses, according to study co-author Paolo Bonifacio, a research with the Department of Deep Sea Ecosystems at the French Research Institute of Exploration of the Sea. For the genius Abyss Aria, The study authors borrowed from the Latin word abyssus, which means bottomless, and the name Arya, one of Bonifacio's favorite Game of Thrones characters. Hodor Hodor measures about 0.4 inches, 11 millimeters, long and about 0.08 inches, 2 millimeters wide, with 24 body segments and nine pairs of limb-like structures. Ooh, that's kind of creepy. Simon. Yeah, I tried to post the like paste the picture in here, but it wouldn't like um, wouldn't stick. So I'm going to post the article when we when the episode oh, nice. goes live. Abyssaria acus is significantly smaller, about 0.2 inches, five millimeters long, and 0.02 inches, 0.4 millimeters wide. With 18 body segments, both worm specimens were pale from the preserving ethanol, so it is unclear what color the species are in life, the researchers reported. From Bustle, Game of Thrones, Kit Harington burst into tears after he filmed his last scene ever by Emily Dixon. For Game of Thrones fans, season eight still seems an eternity away. It's actually airing in four months, but please allow me to be dramatic. But for its cast and crew, the show's all but wrapped up and the farewells were as difficult as you'd expect. Game of Thrones' Kit Harington burst into tears after filming his final scene for the show, as Digital Spy reports. Speaking to BBC Breakfast, the actor explained that while he was glad to let the show go, saying goodbye remained an acutely emotional experience. It's a weird thing. I'm not sad about it ending. I feel very joyous about it ending and having completed it, Harrington said. It doesn't make it any less emotional. It's not hard to understand why emotions were running quite so high. While the series made its TV debut in 2011, filming started way back in 2009, meaning the Game of Thrones team were bidding farewell to an almost decade-long commitment. Yeah, I don't know if anybody knows this, but they pretty much reshot the entire pilot. Oh, really? Yeah, they filmed it, and George R.R. Martin had made a cameo in it, and they had different actors playing a bunch of different parts. And then it was just too, like, comic booky and cartoony and, like, fantasy so they reshot it to make it more like sober and grounded and uh, oh yeah it's pretty interesting totally different like directorial style style after like the the first one was screened they were like uh, i don't know if it's gonna work we gotta redo some stuff wow yeah pretty crazy so they filmed refilmed the whole episode basically and there were certain things that like weren't like people after watching it like didn't realize that jamie and cersei were brother and sister type thing so they added some sort of exposition to make certain plot elements more clear yeah like specific i i believe that he actually calls her outright his sister in the pilot yeah like when they're looking over john aaron's body yeah first time we see them yeah literally yeah they make it quite clear 
Um, Interesting. Earlier this month, Harrington told Entertainment Weekly that he also got choked up during the two-day table read for season eight after choosing not to read the scripts in advance. I like this. I walked in saying, don't tell me, I don't want to know, he told the magazine. What's the point of reading it to myself in my own head when I can listen to the to people do it and find out with my friends? I like that sentiment, you know, find yeah. out live. The result, two instances of tears, the first of which Harrington didn't detail for fear of disclosing spoilers. The second time was at the very end. He said, every season you read the end of the last script, end of season one or end of season two, the actor explained, this read end of game of thrones oh my goodness and you realize okay it's really happening during his bbc breakfast interview harrington also revealed that the game of thrones pilot was a disaster that though he hasn't seen yet seen it himself i had no idea if it was going to be a, a, a big or a success or anything he said they blackmail me every now and again threatening that they'll release bits on youtube because apparently it was terrible and i had this awful wig <laughs> yeah the, the <laughs> pilot that they originally shot he's talking about got it yeah so funny uh, so yeah good thing we just talked about that because otherwise that would have been kind of confusing Still, the actor had some sage words about the whole affair. Sometimes with things that end up being a huge su- being huge successes, they start with huge failures. Would someone like to put that on a motivational poster? <laughs> nice. Moving on to Game of Thrones and history from emgn.com. 12 historical events that inspired Game of Thrones and proved our world is just as brutal as Westeros. Author of Game of Thrones series, George R.R. R. Martin, once claimed that no matter how much I make up, there's stuff in history that's just as bad or worse, which is a bit of a scary thought. The series has been greatly influenced by moments in history, and here are a few of the most notable similarities between the world of Westeros and the real world. 1. Westeros and England and Ireland. This is a cool one. Yeah, for sure. Basically, if you take a look at the map of Westeros, it very closely resembles England with an upside-down Ireland beneath it. Like, there's a side-by-side here, and the two are very similar. Like, Hadrian's Wall is right where the wall is. For instance, the neck would be right in between where the the south of England would connect to Ireland, or to Iceland, um, or sorry, Ireland. The, The fingers on the east side of the Riverlands are line up with um, what looks like fingers sticking off of the southwest of Ireland, which when you invert it becomes the northeast of Westeros, just like in <laughs> map. We need to post this on the Facebook page because this is really cool. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely going to post that. We'll post this on Facebook. You guys need to check it out. It's pretty amazing. All right. Number four, Daenerys Targaryen and Henry Tudor. Henry Tudor was an exiled nobleman who spent most of his life across a narrow sea in France. Here, he would strengthen his power and plan his invasion of Britain, though nobody around him believed it would happen. This is all probably very familiar to you, as it's pretty much the story of Daenerys. Mm. Tudor fought for the Lancasters and eventually ended up on the British throne at the conclusion of the War of the Roses. We're not yet sure if that's a spoiler or not. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Five, Theon Greyjoy and George Plantagenet. George Plantagenet entered the Wars of the Roses on the side of House York alongside his brother Edward IV. However, eventually he changed suit and began fighting for House Lancaster. 
Down the line, he attempted to jump back with the Yorks and was found guilty of treason. This is all very much similar to the story of Theon Greyjoy, while Rob Stark's story seems to resonate with Edward IV. Number six, Joffrey Baratheon and Edward of Westminster. I feel like I've read this before. Hmm. It's hard to believe that some of these sadistic sick souls can actually be modeled after real people, especially Joffrey Baratheon. Edward of Westminster was a psychopath who inspired Joffrey. A Milanese ambassador once said of Edward, the son of King Henry VI, this boy, though only 13 years of age, already talks of nothing but cutting off heads or making war. Sound familiar? Edward was captured at the Battle of Tewkesbury when he was 17, slapped in the face with Edward the Fourth's metal gauntlet. Imp slap. Imp slap. <laughs> and eventually cut down by the swords of his enemies. Brutal. You hear that? What was that? Lady Lisa of House Sky, Pie Romancer. Fate is a big theme in this episode. Tywin did everything he did for his legacy, but was so blind the whole time that his greatest fears were only realized right before he died. Spoiler alert, later we see how Cersei follows this same path. Cersei and Tywin are similar in the fact that they both cause the fate they were trying to avoid. What could this mean for her endgame? Hands of gold are always cold. Tyrion had been asking the same question his whole life. What is my destiny and purpose as a Lannister? He was constantly battling that idea. And now he has his answer. His purpose for his house is over. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> I could watch Brienne and Arya together for a hundred hours. Can't wait to see their dance later. Yes, me Pyromancer. too. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. We want to give Lady Lisa a huge mega shout out because she has been critical to the return of the show. She's helped work behind the scenes to create our awesome website, gameofmicrophones.com. Lady Lisa is also a world-class artist. No joke. She's pretty freaking amazing. So go to gameofmicrophones.com, check it out, and go to Amazon and check out Lady Lisa's children's book, beautifully illustrated, called The People You May See. Thanks so much for all your help, Lady Lisa. So next we have Lady Sarah of House Larkham. We see Kyburn doing his experience on the mountain, Cersei threatening Tywin by exposing her and Jaime's secret, and the whole family dynasty is a lie, like a letter that Stannis sends in season two, episode one. With Tyrion killing Tywin, he really screws up his family more than it is already. This foreshadows the High Sparrows coming into power. In Season 7, Episode 7, Cersei mentions to Tyrion, by killing two, he made the Lannisters look weak and let them be picked apart by vultures. Example, the High Sparrow and House Martell. John burning Egret was a beautiful scene. It also foreshadows John stabbing in Season 5 finale by showing the favorite the favorable stance he shows the wildlings and how most of the Night's Watch don't like him. There are two actors that play the Three-Eyed Raven. The one that we see in this episode is played by 
Staran Roger, the three-eyed raven that we see in episode, in season six, is played by Max von Sydow. Yeah, um, yeah, Max von Sydow does a great job too. Sir Matthew of House Rep. The Children was such an epic end to season four, and with such a perfect title too. We are introduced to the children of the forest as Bran finally reaches his destiny at the Heart Tree. Tywin's children completely rebel with Cersei blackmailing him with the truth of her and Jamie's relationship and Tyrion shooting him while he was on the privy. Danny realizes her children might be more than she can handle when Drogon kills a child and is now missing her and she decides to entomb her remaining dragons beneath the pyramid. Stannis saves the day. The menace. How could an army that size invade the north of the, north of the wall without Mance's scouts or wargs knowing about it? Good question, bro. Yes, very good question. When Tyrion finally kills Tywin, I know he is grieving for Shay, but even deeper than that, I think he is finally releasing all that pent-up anger about what he did to his first wife, Tysha. When Tyrion told that story back in season one, Bronn even said he'd kill the man that did that to him. Yeah, good call. For sure. Good call. A traveler of the middling roads, citizen of McCumber's Eye. This is exciting. We haven't heard from uh, the traveler in a while. In a recent podcast, Lady Rachel, that's me, (laughs) (laughs) was wondering about what Jon Snow had to offer the agent from the Iron Bank of Braavos as the Night's Watch produced nothing of value other than the security of the realm running a prison-type camp to protect the kingdom from sharks or from snarks. The answer is lumber. Oh, those tall trees from the east area of the gift are vertical gold mines to anyone from Bravos, where almost no trees exist and prices are very high on any price of wood. Oh, interesting. Any piece of wood. A piece, any piece of wood. With a suppressed slave market and blood sport fighting pits closed, money is being lost. Futures in ships and shipbuilding are looking up, but it's lumber intensive enterprise. That's such lumber. Interesting. Yeah, I, like I it. thought it was really cool. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, definitely. Angelica Garcia Decker regarding the moment the mountain crushes the viper's head. My brother is a huge Game of Thrones fan and routinely calls my kids screaming whelps. (laughs) I've heard the audiobooks a dozen times and missed this part every time since I often fall asleep to them. But now it makes sense. Secondarily, this is brutal as fuck. This is in response (laughs) to the poster I had with the book quote um, of the section of Oberyn's head being crushed. Oh, yeah. Where uh, the mountain calls Elia's kids screaming whelps. That's right. Yep. From Derek Pacheco, what a highlight moment for both book and show. It'll never leave my memory. And he was also referring to this, uh, this post about the mountain and the viper. Yeah. Hello, Sarah Duncan. Hoping I can get this in on time for um, the episode, The Children, the season finale of season four. Um, really excited to be moving on to season five. So much cool stuff yet to happen. Um, I did have a few notes on this and I'm, I'm kind of bummed. I'm, I had notes on the other episodes too, but I'm totally like slacking. But, uh, one thing I wanted to mention is the, the field of the dead. I noticed 
And um, every time I watch this episode and I watch Jon Snow walk out of that tunnel in the opening shot and there's all those dead bodies lying around. I'm like, oh, God, they're going to jump up and start chasing him or something. And of course, nothing happens because they haven't been animated by the White Walkers. But it's still like really eerie to see all these corpses lying around and you kind of expect something to happen. And I'm sure they did that deliberately. It's also really clever, the lighting on that shot. Everything looks very white and wintry. And this time of year, we're seeing it more and more here in New England. Um, you get that very white sky and you can feel the pressure uh, changing. You can feel the sort of it's sort of loaded with snow and it's the storm is coming. And as we know this in this uh, scene, the storm is going to be um, Stannis Baratheon and his his uh, Stormlanders um, army. But I just uh, I, I just love the feeling of that scene. It feels very heavy, even though like the whole scene is white. It, you can feel there's something coming. It's very it must be the music or something. Um, but it it feels very ominous, like something's about to happen. And uh, and then we get it at the end, the field of the dead with Bran and uh, Jojen and Mira and Hodor as they're arriving at the tree. They have that field just in front of the tree. And I thought that was an, inter an interesting choice with the, the show because the books don't have that really. It sort of happens on a hillside in the books in, in, the, in a forest. And in the show, it was probably more impactful to have it in more of an open space where you can see everyone running around and you can see the, the whites coming for people. And I thought that was really cool. I'm sure, I don't know if they meant to link that with uh, John's scene from earlier, but with all the dead bodies popping out of the snow and uh, and coming for them, it was it had the same eerie feeling. You and you know it's coming whether you've watched the show before or whether you've read the books. You know immediately what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen to Jojen. Jojen knows what's going to happen to Jojen. But it just. Uh, made it really, really, uh, really impactful. It was cool. And, uh, another thing I wanted to mention is, um, we will never see their like again. We see a lot of people, uh, burned in this episode. And I was sort of ticking off every time we see somebody burn. I'm like, yep, yeah, we're not going to see them again. So we have, uh, Gren and Pip with the, um, Night's Watch funeral and then we have John burning a grit which was very uh very memorable and touching scene and then we have uh Jojen finally burning up and I'm just going through I'm like yeah they're all done we're not gonna see them again and finally I wanted to mention Mance I love uh, the character of Mance especially in the books he's very and so many people have all these theories about who Mance could be like he's secretly somebody else because of course any Night's Watch person you they could have a history and they've had that scratched off so he could have a history before he joined the Night's Watch and we don't know what that is and so it's all a mystery. It's very cool to theorize, but I do love Siren Hines, but I think he's a little too serious for the character of Mance Raider. He's, I, I love the Mance from the books because he's so, uh, he's so warm and welcoming and he's like got such a jovial, happy personality and he's just everybody's buddy. And that's why all these people want to fight for him because he's a very lovable, charismatic person. And although Kieran Hines is, Siren Hines is like, he uh 
he does have a sort of likability about him. You can tell that John is is drawn to him and he trusts him and he's very uh he's got a he's got a good way of arguing his point as soon as he sits in his tent and he has John have a drink and it seems all very happy go lucky and then he realizes that John's there to kill him and he's like is that really what the night's watch is all about and you you realize at that point you forget about the old gods and the rules about um sitting down and accepting someone's um someone's meat and mead and it's uh it it's not really against guests right because john is the guest but he's still in sitting down with him and having a drink with him and agreeing to um to sort of deliver peace in a way there's uh there's definitely something there that is going against the rules of the old gods and that would be uh definitely very unchivalrous and um going against the sort of honor that Ned Stark stands for and so that's really it goes against Jon Snow's temperament to do that and you can tell once once Mance says that it's all over Jon's like oh now I can't kill him so I don't know what would have happened if Stannis wouldn't have showed up but um Jon gets lucky a bunch of times here he really I feel like every somebody comes to his rescue every time he he turns in he turns up in trouble anyway so that's all I have for today. Um, all the best and uh, looking forward to season five. Thanks. Hello, Duncan and Rachel. It's Zach again with feedback for the children. This was a pretty good episode. Uh, not my favorite, but uh, pretty good. Um, not all that exciting as far as season finales go. Uh, episode 9s are usually the best, and then episode 10s are usually pretty pretty good. But this one was just kind of um, not quite as thrilling, but uh, it was a good plot development. Um, my first note was Danny. If you notice early in the episode, she has on that uh, necklace that looks like it has uh, teeth on either side. Um, I've always thought of it as like a, I call it the dragon tooth necklace. But uh, later in the episode, right before she's going to uh, lock up the dragons, when she's in her like council chambers, um, the necklace is off and she's holding it in her, I believe it's her right hand. So I thought that was kind of symbolic that she's taken that necklace off just as she's uh, about to lock up the, uh, the two smaller dragons. Um, pretty interesting that uh, the first time Melisandre sees John is uh, through the like the haze and the heat of the uh, funeral pyre at Castle Black after the battle. Um, correct me, but if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time that Melisandre, servant of the Lord of Light, and uh, always looking into the flames, she sees John through the flames. Next is a Tywin's disbelief of Cersei's uh, incest confession. I'm kind of torn about whether Tywin believed this or knew about it or not. Because a couple episodes ago when Jamie's talking to Tywin, trying to bargain for Tyrion's life, um, Tywin tells Jamie that he will have children named Lannister. So that sort of points towards the fact that Tywin knows that uh, Jamie has had children, Tommen, Marcella, and Joffrey. 
but of course their names are Baratheon, not Lannister. But this scene between Cersei and Tywin, it, he is still acts like he doesn't doesn't believe it, can't believe it, won't believe it that um, all the stories about Jamie and Cersei are true. So I don't know. I, I don't really know what to think about where Tywin was at mentally about Jamie and Cersei. Um, the best part of this episode to me was um, the awesome battle slash skirmish at uh, the great, what I call the Great Weirwood Tree, where the Three-Eyed Raven lives. Um, when I, I remember the first time I saw this, this was like, this is like the first big battle, the first real little battle north of the wall. Obviously, it's nothing compared to Hardhome, but uh, the first time really we really see, I think, um, whites in action, um, just not even zombie looking. They're just like straight up skeletons with, you know, knives and swords coming after them. So that was really intense, really freaky, even for a, like a seasoned Walking Dead fan who's used to the gore and um, craziness of the dead coming to life and coming after you. I uh, was really shocked by the uh, the whites and the skeletons coming after Bran and Hodor and the group. But uh, my favorite part, I think, of that whole thing, well, a couple of my favorite parts were the fireballs that the uh, Children of the Forest were launching. Those are pretty epic. And how the um, the whites just completely disintegrate as they run into the entrance of that cave. It's pretty cool how the, the magic works. And um, I forget exactly the line. I'm sure y'all talk about it in the podcast. But uh, basically the, the child of the forest says the, the power of the magic that brings them to life has no power uh, under the tree there. So that was pretty pretty incredible. Of course, I love seeing Arya sail off to Braavos. Uh, one of the more low-key endings uh, to the seasons. A lot of them are with Danny and her dragons or the Misa ending or the wall coming down or other really epic Danny sailing for Westeros. There's a lot of really epic endings, ending scenes to each season. But this one was good, but not quite as um, profound or powerful. But anyway, really enjoyed it and talk to you all next time. Keep it up. Uh, great work. Thanks for all the great feedback, everybody. We also just wanted to give a shout out to Lady Caroline Collins. It is her birthday today. So happy birthday, Lady Caroline. Hope you had a wonderful day. Yes, indeed. A happy birthday to you, Lady Caroline, and I hope you had a great day. And I also want to give a major shout out to Sir Johnny of House Stower. He was kind enough to gift both Duncan and myself, a copy of Fire and Blood. So thank you so much. I'm truly enjoying it. And you were so awesome to do that for the both of us. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. That was really, really cool of you. And uh, if you guys want to check it out, Johnny, he does um, custom paint jobs on cars and bikes up in California. Outlawed Paint, O-U-T-L-A-W-D, Outlawed badass stuff i've no i yeah. posted some videos of his uh, of his work before that bike but, was awesome yeah really 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 talented good stuff
All right, that's our show, episode 82. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yes, thank you so much. Next episode, we'll be covering season five, episode one, The Wars to Come. Give it a watch and send us your thoughts. We'd love to read them on the air. And guys, Christmas is coming. (laughs) So to do your holiday shopping, go to gameofmicrophones.com and click on our link to Amazon. As an Amazon associate, we earn from qualifying purchases. If you'd like to support Game of Microphones, you can always go to paypal.me slash gompodcast and patreon.com slash gompodcast to donate an amount of your choosing. There are links to both of those at gameofmicrophones.com. Any little bit helps, and this way you can secure the continued existence of Game of Microphones and help ensure that we're around and still able to release podcasts. We'd also like to give a huge shout-out and thank you to our first Patreon supporters. That includes Sir Matthew of House Rep, Luke, the Low Duke, Lady Lucy of House Roberts, Sir Jeff of House Allen, Lady Candace of House Twos, Sirenicide, and Lord Zack of House Bruce. That's so awesome that people are donating. We love you guys and appreciate your patronage. Thank you. Yes, you guys are awesome. And we're working on some uh, more interesting incentives for supporting the show, so if you guys have any cool ideas that would make you more interested in um, supporting us on Patreon, let us know, and if we can make it happen, we will. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at 813-JOFFREY. That's 813-563-3739. If you'd like to write in, you can email us at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. And give us a like and a review while you're there. And uh, strangely, we're no longer appearing in the search results for Game of Thrones on iTunes, so giving us reviews on iTunes would help a lot and probably help bump us back into the search results. So we'd really appreciate that if you guys could do that for us. Yeah. Imslap. Ugh. You can also listen to Game of Microphones on YouTube, BitChute, and Steam It. Just search for Game of Microphones to find our channel. We can't create a custom URL on YouTube until we have 100 subscribers, so please subscribe as well. Likes, comments, and shares are also appreciated. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Mimes at GOM Podcast. And we're also on Tumblr at Game of Microphones. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. I loved her. Who? Shay. Oh, Tyrion. Put down the crossbow. I murdered her. My own hands. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She was a whore. Say that word again. Whore. Clickety-click. Clickety-clack. Ugh. <laughs>
Rhaegal's a good dragon. <laughs> I almost stopped watching Game of Thrones after that episode. The the Night's Watch finds out that they're, or John finds out that, or, or fuck, I can't talk. Mance tells John that he sent all these men up on the wall. And I'm like, oh shit, it's Stannis, the Manus. Yes. The Manus. It was awesome. And that one guy charges up like he's going to hit Stannis. <laughs> ah! And just whack. The horse comes out of nowhere. Fuck water. You know, I'd skin you alive for wine. Yes. That's how far I was willing to go when I thought someone awful had come to take my son away. Yes. Now someone awful is coming to take him away. You, dad. Yeah. He learns the truth about Jamie and Cersei. He gets fucking killed. Yeah. All within one episode, man. He had a bad day. <laughs> 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 and they're tormenting what looks to me like fermented milk oh sidebar i had i got a match on tinder earlier today oh you did <laughs> with uh with someone named shay no you and, can't uh, do it <laughs> and uh her on her profile it said must must blah 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 must like dogs game of thrones so i was thinking about just sending her a message shay the funny whore <laughs> You just see how she reacts to that. Do it. She'd probably love it. If she likes Game of Thrones, she'll laugh. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be funny. I would laugh. <laughs> Tywin just trying to conk, conk Tyrion. He just needs to know why. I think he's trying to figure it out. Like, why? I've gone to the Game of Thrones live, ex uh, live concert experience twice with my husband. Fuck you. <laughs> this man is not even a maester, let alone grand maester. The a winged, winged shadow. shadow. You're his next meal. Oh, God. Mom! Mom! Bam! Surprise, bitch! He's just like, oh, like, why can't we all just get along? Hold on! However, not all of the species were named for figures in pop culture. Some drew their names from the scientists' colleagues and friends, and one memorable creature... Oh, God. <laughs> Macellophalodoys. 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 Mustachio. We'll just go with that. Amazing. 